The following program is intended for mature audiences. the U.S. government may have physical evidence of, and we're quoting, off-world vehicles not made on this earth. Surely the days of the great Martian revelation are upon us.
Oh, yeah. Steal the light. How fitting a name for this day of the Martian revelation, turning darkness into light. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, and all you ETs out there in the bite waves of the Internet and wherever you're at down through time monitoring this show. I'm Gary Legier, the Mars Revealer, known also as the Mad Martian, and I would like to welcome you all to the Martian Revelation that is upon you all again now. Welcome to the Bazaar. And today is February 13th of 2021, or the 14th, depending upon your time zone, as this asks through time. And you're listening to this broadcast through Global Enlightenment Radio Network Stream, and also now through the Public Streaming Network Stream, as well as through the Martian Revelation Show YouTube Stream, live at www.thefacesofmars.com. That's right, which everyone knows is your defense for that war which we all fight against evil dark mission is. We're all leading you away from the light and the truth and manipulating you all instead to help you open your wallets and your pocketbooks to only join their dark side and special clubs and their special subscriptions that only allows them more power to continue to mislead you all and to steer you all away from the truth that they themselves not wish to face or even admit to. Hell, let alone even talk about yeah, UFO Diaries. Faces on Mars. Cover-up controversy. Down through time. Huge conspiracy. It is a conspiracy. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Talking about bringing a dark to light. But the Martian revelation is, however, 100% listener-supported. With no special clubs or any special subscriptions to join. Free speech! Is what this is all about. So if you're a listener, please help support the Martian Revelation Show. Again, which is your only defense for that war which we all fight against the evil dark missionaries. <laughs> and we're working with the goal each week to bring you the bizarre truth one show at a time. So please share the face of the Mars.com link. And I must also ask you all, though, that you please donate to the show with anything that you could afford. That big red, white, and blue American donate button there at the top of the show page to allow it to continue being here for you down through time, as it is because of you, the listener, which makes the Martian revelation possible to be brought to you all back through time. So your listenership and your donation support actually counts, and it helps us all to not only fight, but to win against those evil dark missioners, as many as they are, <laughs> as well as to secure a future which we could all literally make, the Martian revelation, our reality. By what? By making our fate. And that's bringing a dark delight. But just remember also that if you're listening to this Martian Revelation show, then know this, that you are the resistance down through time. And I'd like to give a shout-out to a couple of you who has donated the past couple of weeks. Thank you very much. It is very much needed, as you all can see and understand and where we're going in this madness of the Martian Revelation, being let down through time by this madman. Or is it by this madman? Our footsteps are not that of our own. I'll say that much. So that being said, we got an interesting show for you all tonight, as we're going to have a guest, Michael Orell, on with us, dealing with a subject that I'm fascinated with because it connects. It deals with faces, and it deals with ancient civilizations on and off world. It deals with a, a fascinating path to a past of which we are needing to come to relearn or remember just to find out everything and 
we all do need to know about it. And the race is on, as that those questions are going to be answered one way or another by those who are now in this race to space, the great space race, to its arriving now at Mars. They can help also reveal and unlock the doors, bring dark to light on what is really there, what has been known about, what is this race all about, let alone worldly geopolitical situations that are making us race to space and why we must as a nation. But that's under threat and jeopardy that listeners to this show could appreciate. But the fight and the drive still goes on. You've heard the guests of this show. They seem really optimistic. But I'm crazy. Maybe that's why I'm so worried. But I see an existential threat. So arriving at Mars, UAE Hope Probe has arrived. China's Team Ring Run has arrived. Now the Perseverance Forever is going to arrive. Everyone's nail-biting and having so much hope for each of these missions. And aside from worldly geopolitical aspects to this all, of what's being found on Mars, and the race to get there, is the overall questions and the issues of which gets dealt with on this show, especially by what I show in the visual imagery data that they provide us from these crafts, of which is publicly available. And Mars is a fascinating place. There's more than meets the eye, pun intended, of what's going on on Mars. And the connections thereof between that, a past nuclear war, nuclear detonations that'll destroy Mars, and a civilization. Now we're all racing there. What are the values of those who gets there first? We must not allow us to take second or third place. Just because certain missions arrive there, that doesn't mean that they're the ones that's going to be coming out the ultimate winner in this space race. The worldly, geopolitically, it, it can look that way. Well, we can't give up hope and perseverance and our faith in we, the people of America, to take our rightful place and our heritage back and to usher in our future, which will not only make America great again or save our nation, it will make America great permanently, at least till kingdom come. And that's a much better future, in my opinion. But aside from that, let's get into some news. Because I'm just ranting, I'm sure. So on February 9th, happy birthday, Gary. The UAE Hope Probe arrived. In this article from the 11th, UAE Hope Probe expected to provide first complete picture of Mars in one week. So it's less now. The United Arab Emirates robotic probe named HOPE entered Martian orbit, making it the fifth agency to successfully reach the red planet's gravitational zone, joining NASA, the former Soviet Union, the European Space Agency, and India. In recent days, a number of prominent buildings and monuments across the Arab world, including Dubai's Burj Khalifa, the tallest tower on Earth, were lit up at night in red in honor of Mars, the red planet. We officially transitioned today from the Mars orbit insertion phase and into Mars's orbit. For the next two months, we will be preparing the spacecraft and the scientific instruments for going into the science orbit. Amram Sharaf, project manager at the Mohammed bin Rashid Space Center, said in a press conference held Wednesday that was attended by Arab News. Formerly called Mars Orbit Insertion, the milestone was a critical step that required hope to burn about half of its 800 kilograms of fuel for 27 minutes to slow down enough for the spacecraft to be captured by Mars's gravity and go into orbit. 
The probe rotated and fired all six of its powerful Delta V thrusters and slowed down from its average cruising speed of 121,000 kilometers per hour to about 18,000 kilometers per hour with no support from the mission's engineers on the ground. In this process, we will have to calibrate the scientific instruments to make sure that the data is accurate so that by the time we start our science mission, we are able to provide accurate data to the scientific community. We hope to get the first image one week from now, but that is independent from the preparations that we are doing for the science mission, Sharaf added. Well, hopefully we'll all get access to that raw data as well. I mean, that's a, an advantage and a plus. But if attained, the whole probe will be the first probe to provide a complete picture of the Martian atmosphere and its layers. Entry to orbit on the first attempt marked the end of a seven-month journey of nearly 500 million kilometers, the Arab world's first interplanetary mission, the beginning of a breakthrough in scientific research, and placed the Hope spacecraft on the bright side of grim Mars mission statistics. About more than half of all the spacecraft that have been sent to Mars have failed. The fabled galactic ghoul, I will add, used to be a culprit. But Sharaf elaborated that the reason behind the UAE's ability to overcome this complex maneuver, given the difficulty of the journey and the challenges that the other countries have faced, was because that they did not start from zero, but rather started where others ended. Exactly. And international collaborators and cooperationists are the reason for it. But I hope engineers have practiced the maneuver repeatedly on data from other missions and hypothetical data through conducting over 100,000 and tests in different scenarios within a span of two years to ensure that the probe successfully arrives to Mars, according to Sharaf. And of course, it's a feat that's worthy of respect. I'll give him that. But reaffirming his country's commitment to the Artemis Accords, an international agreement aimed at ensuring peaceful collaboration among spacefaring nations, Sharaf said, that since that day one of this project, the direction that we've received from the governments has been to learn from others. See? He's admitting that we've been given it by others. International collaborators and cooperationists. Listeners to this show can appreciate why that makes me pissed. But countries tend to perceive space exploration as a competition or as a race, which it is. But the UAE perceives it as an international cooperative space mission. Instead of starting everything from scratch and innovating alone, we built our project with and upon the research accumulated. For this reason... We had 450 people from different continents working on this project, of which 200 were Emiratis. So the team collaborated as one under a single identity, which was the Mars mission, Sharaf said. Oh, no offense, UAE, but international collaborators in a race of which America first should have that spirit. And we the people's rights to a destiny and an inheritance for which should be ours. But again, not knocking the efforts. It is a feat worthy to be accomplished, but there's a lot more at stake than these few mere missions to Mars, of which you are, happen to arrive first at this point in time, down through time. No offense, but the Emirates Mars mission is part of a larger investigation that planetary scientists have been pursuing for decades, hoping to discover what transformed Mars from a potentially habitable planet to the barren one seen today. Well, according listeners to this show can appreciate, last week our guest, Dr. John Brandenburg, you know, he's shown the scientific hard evidence, the data right there, because uh, the evidence speaks for itself that Mars 
at least at some point in the past. Was it Earth-like at the time when this ancient civilization on Mars that we see is there uh, was thriving when it was nuked? And if it was, is it the nuclear weapons that helped destroy that atmosphere? Mars seems to have had epochs upon its surface. And the most daunting and compelling epoch is that of which shows the civilization that is, remains presumably dead and the signature of Xenon 129. And the race is on! But hope will orbit Mars at a higher altitude than any previous Mars mission, as it will orbit nearly parallel to the equator, allowing scientists to see half of the planet regardless of where the orbiter is. Uh, whereas most other Mars orbiters move around the poles, which limits the observation of global weather patterns, its elliptical orbits will also help scientists learn more about the nature of dust storms and other weather conditions near the surface can affect the speed of which Martian air leaks out into space. Also a topic that we might get into next week. There's just so much news, we won't have time to get into that latest news. But the aim is to investigate the Martian atmosphere and to understand what happened on the red planet. As humans, we have had a dead planet in front of us, and something had happened to that planet with its atmospheric history that made it this way. We want to discover what happened there and what led to the planet's transformation to understand our solar system, which is still a big leap to understand the solar system by understanding the dynamics of let alone Earth, let alone that of the historical truth and record of the epochs of Mars and its place in the solar system. We have many more long way to go, in my opinion, but I'm crazy. But anyway... And the changes that happen within our solar system as well as the changes that happen around our planet. You see? Sure if said. Again, we need many more things. This is not going to help explain that. Focus on the damn atmosphere there and whatnot, like you said. And uh, surface features as best as you can, please. But despite the fact that HOPE is a science mission, the data that it will gather is considered secondary to the primary goal of inspiring young people to practice science in order to accelerate the country's transition towards becoming a knowledge-based economy. Yes, breaking free from the song and dance manipulated ways of life we've been accustomed to here and all over the world. Everything's just with a song and a dance, fools. Many are waking up. And this does and should inspire the, the kids, especially when you show them the shit that's really there. That is what needs to start coming out to really create a big interest in STEM all over the world not just America, and then the race will really be on, even more so. But Sarah Alamiri, the UAE's Minister of State for Advanced Sciences and Chair of the UAE Space Agency, said that the mission has raised the ceilings of the young generation in terms of what they are capable of dreaming and becoming. After the 9th, I don't think that there is an Emirati household that will perceive space exploration in the same manner. If one of their children aspired to become planetary scientists or delve into space exploration, no one could tell them that it is impossible. That's true. But especially here in America, needs to be made to know and understand that. Above and all else, it's our rightful heritage and our inheritance in space that's being given away. But anyway... There is no activity that matches the unique challenges of space exploration. The outcome of a project like the Emirates Mars mission will not only be visible today or in the development of sectors in the upcoming years, but it will be ingrained in the minds of school children, change their mindsets, and introduce them to a world of new opportunities. Yes, as long as that is what's being projected to them. 
without a communistic agenda behind it. But it's not their goals to have us go out there. Okay? So there's a difference. So a lot of things have to be changed, and this race has to be won, which does and includes the geopolitical aspects here on the earth. I mean, but again, this mission gives strong reason for confidence that the investment made in the space exploration will have positive impacts for future generations of the UAE. So they're showing their submittance and their willingness to go along, to get along, because they have been given this means to have a place. This is by a grander design, is what he was saying. You got to read between the lines on this shit. But again, to achieve a feat, it's good. And it's good that there is a race and competition, especially when one gets article. Precise braking helps China. Sing win one probe enter Mars's orbit. Let's get into this one. Precise braking near Mars is held. China's probe, once successfully entered the orbit around the red planet on Wednesday, according to the country's space scientist. Yang Yang, a researcher with China Aerospace Science and Industry Corporation Limited, told the Science and Technology Daily that the braking is a key and risky step in the Mars exploration mission, which requires a high degree of accuracy. When a probe is set to be captured by a planet's gravity, the lower its orbit is, the more fuel the engine will save. But if Tingwen-1 breaks in an orbit too close to Mars, the probe may collide with the planet's surface, given that minor errors may exist in its position measurement and control, Yang said. Again, I hope it blows up. I really doubt that they're going to be forthcoming and ever so graceful with their data that they get of imagery and other data. I don't know. Maybe I'm wrong. But knowing the commie Chinese, but if the braking time is too long, which results in excessive braking force, the probe will also face the risk of crashing, he said. Only when the braking is performed with precise timing and duration can the probe successfully enter the planet's orbit, said Peng Zhao, an expert on deep space exploration technologies. The deceleration of Tianwen-1 started with a 3000N engine ignited at 7.52 p.m. Beijing time on Wednesday. After about 15 minutes, the spacecraft, including an orbiter, a lander, and a rover, had slowed enough to be captured by Mars's gravity and entered an elliptical orbit around the red planet with its closest distance from the Martian surface about 400 kilometers, according to the China National Space Administration. Breaking near Mars is different from breaking near the moon, which China's lunar probes have successfully achieved in previous lunar missions. The average distance between Earth and the moon is about 384,400 kilometers, and the communication delay is only about one second. But the distance between Earth and Mars is more than 180 million kilometers, and the one-way communication delay is more than 10 minutes. In this case, the ground cannot monitor the spacecraft in real time. Instructions needed to be transmitted in advance and executed independently by the spacecraft, Yang explained. But slight deviations in the engine thrust and different variables concerning the spacecraft's position, speed, and attitude will all add to the complexity of achieving autonomous control, he said. Adding that to ensure smooth autonomous control, Tingman 1 is equipped with multiple sensors to allow for the accurate measurement of flight conditions. With a weight of more than 5 tons, Tingman 1 is among the world's heaviest planetary probes, but scientists and engineers have managed to equip it with a relatively small engine so as to leave more weight and space for payloads. To make up for the small thrust, they extended the braking time to meet the braking requirements, Yang said. 
And released yesterday, China's Qingming-1 Mars probe captures epic video of the red planet during orbital arrival. China has released epic video footage from the country's Qingming-1 spacecraft as it made a close approach to Mars after reaching the red planet this week. Qingming-1 arrived at Mars on Wednesday, February 10th and fired its engines to allow it into orbit around the red planet. China has now received and put together a series of images taken during this approach and created two remarkable scenes, seen here in a single video. One video taken by Tingling One's small engineering survey subsystem camera for monitoring a solar array shows Mars entering into frame by an incredible view of the edge of Mars's atmosphere and atmospheric limb. Craters are also visible on the planet's surface, while the solar panel appears to oscillate with the spacecraft firing its main engines to decelerate. A second video is from the point of view of a monitoring camera for T-1-1's tracking antenna, providing similar amazing footage. The engineering survey subsystem consists of a number of small monitoring cameras used to monitor processes such as the deployment of solar arrays and other events, according to the China National Space Administration. The cameras took photos once every three seconds and continuously photographed for around half an hour. The videos have a frame rate of about 10 pictures per second. Tianwen one which means questioning the heavens, launched on July 23, 2020, and is China's first independent interplanetary mission. It arrived in orbit around Mars after a 202-day, 295-million-mile journey through deep space. It snapped an image of the red planet during its final approach. The spacecraft consists of both an orbiter and a rover. The landing attempt for the rover is not expected until May or June, giving the orbiter time to image and map out the intended landing site in the region known as Utopia Planitia. It would have been better to land down at Cydonia. They really wanted to poke at us in the chest. But Tienwen 1's roughly 530-pound solar power rover carries science payloads to investigate surface soil characteristics and search for potential water ice distribution with a ground-penetrating radar. The rover also carries a panoramic camera similar to the one aboard China's U-22 rover, which is currently exploring the far side of Earth's moon. The Tianwen-1 orbiter will study the red planet's surface with medium and high-resolution cameras and a sounding radar and make other detections with the magnetometer and particle detectors. So if that orbiter does survive, it's going to get some interesting images of the surface of Mars. And it's bizarre archaeological features and remnants that remain thereon. But last but not least in being in line at arriving at Mars, NASA's Perseverance Forever rover is one week away from a daring landing on Mars. Watch how it works. And the Perseverance Forever rover lands on Mars February 18th. On February 18th, the Mars rover Perseverance Forever will attempt a daring sky crane landing similar to one aced by his predecessor, Curiosity, in August of 2012, and an epic NASA video shows exactly how it'll be done. NASA dubbed the Curiosity rover's landing a harrowing seven minutes of terror, as it had never been done before. The rover had to nail its entire landing sequence on its own, from atmospheric entry and parachute release to an unprecedented rocket-powered hover maneuver as Curiosity was lowered to the Martian surface because the sequence happened faster than a signal could reach Earth from Mars. 
Perseverance forever will have much the same approach, but the terror is still there as, as not every landing mission to Mars has never made it safely to the surface. The new 4K Perseverance Forever landing video opens with a shot of Mars, soon followed by Perseverance Forever streaking towards the surface after separating from a protective backshell. Tucked in special casing, the rover will make its way through the upper part of the atmosphere, streaking across the sky. Close to landing, it is hoped that microphones on board will pick up the whistling of the wind, which is likely why NASA puts that noise in the video too. The protective case will pop a parachute. Closer to landing, the bottom will fall away, with the top remaining clamped to the rover for a final steer to the surface. A dramatic view from the video shows the wheels of Perseverance forever exposed to the thin Martian atmosphere. Moments later, the case backshell fires jets to slow down the landing even further. Maneuvering under the jets, the rover will make final adjustments to its landing site before beginning a controlled descent to the surface with a special sky crane. Just as the wheels settle to the Martian regolith, the crane will rip away from Perseverance forever and the shell will crash safely away from the rover, allowing it to get rolling as soon as a routine systems check shows everything is alright. A last dramatic pan from the video shows Perseverance forever, all on its own on the surface, although the rover will hopefully be in contact with hundreds of scientists and engineers on Earth to plan its first moves. But launched in July of 2020, the Perseverance forever rover is expected to land on Mars at 3.55 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. You can see the complete landing time at space.com beginning at 12.30 p.m. Eastern Time which would be 10.30 p.m. Mountain. Damn it. Of course it would. All right, from an article on February 10th, NASA selects Falcon Heavy to launch first gateway elements. NASA awarded a contract to SpaceX February 9th for the launch of the first two elements of its lunar gateway on the Falcon Heavy in 2024. NASA will use a Falcon Heavy rocket to launch the power and propulsion element, PPE and Habitation and Logistic Outpost, or HALO, modules of the Gateway destined for the near-rectilinear HALO orbit around the Moon. The contract with SpaceX is valued at $331.8 million for the launch and other mission-related costs. NASA originally planned to launch the PPE and HALO separately, then had the two modules dock autonomously around the Moon. The award to Maxar Technologies for the PPE in May of 2019 gave the company responsibility for arranging the launch of the module and testing it in space before transferring it to NASA. However, a year later, NASA reconsidered that approach. Agency officials said that combining the two modules and launching them together would save the cost of one launch as well as eliminate the need for a service module on HALO to provide power and propulsion during its transit to the moon. Combining the two modules on the ground also reduced risk by eliminating the need for in-space autonomous docking. But myself interjecting here, I say it's very valuable to have autonomous docking systems for various things uh, going on up there, especially for freight, people, materials, goods, you name it. But uh, we need to start expanding big time. But we saved a lot of money by going ahead and putting those together on a single launch vehicle, as well as knock down both technical and operational risks for the program. Doug Lavero, at the time NASA Associate Administrator for Human Exploration and Operations, said at the time.
When NASA announced that revised approach in May of 2020, it said it determined there was at least one company that could support the launch of the combined gateway elements, but did not disclose that company. SpaceX's Falcon Heavy Vehicle, though, has emerged as a leading candidate given the performance requirements for the mission. See, they cannot keep that hidden from us. Elon Musk is out there with those big effing balls, making those big effing rockets to make this big effing reality for all of us in America. But those changing plans for the Gateway prompted criticism from NASA's Office of Inspector General. A November 10th report said that the change in launch plans for the two Gateway elements increased the cost of the PPE because of technical changes and elevated launch risk and potential performance shortfalls since the PPE, which will use its electric propulsion system to go to lunar orbit, will also have to carry the HALO module. The report also said that NASA expected to launch the Gateway modules in May of 2024, six months later with the agency previously said. The February 9th contract announcement confirmed that the launch is now scheduled no earlier than May of 2024. That kind of sucks, doesn't it? But the see, turtlenecks now pay speed policy agenda. Get the commie Chinese a Russian full ahead. The report noted that the revised launch date meant that the Gateway would not be in position to support the Artemis 3 lunar landing mission that NASA planned to fly by the end of 2024, but that schedule was in jeopardy because of other issues, such as limited funding for lunar lander development, and will likely be revisited by the new administration. Right, revisited, you mean condemned. Push back on that turtleneck sale pay speed policy agenda, bring it out to 2028 and beyond again, yet the commie Chinese are going to be setting up bases and setting up shop. Who are you bullshitting? We're in a race. Wake up. But the value of the launch contract is nearly three times higher than the one NASA awarded to SpaceX in February of 2020 for the Falcon Heavy launch of his Psyche asteroid mission with the total cost of $117 million. However, while the Psyche mission will likely use a standard Falcon Heavy vehicle, the Lunar Gateway launch may need a new extended payload fairing with SpaceX's security missions along with special pre-launch processing so again we're kind of moving a little slow here with the progress of this and listeners of this show ain't surprised by it speaking of china its first space station module is ready for flight from four days ago also on the ninth the core module for China's planned orbital space station has passed a flight acceptance review and will now launch in the coming months, marking the beginning of a flurry of a major missions by the country. The announcement came from China Manned Space, the country's human spaceflight agency, on January 14th. Boy, my mom's but Everything's on all these days relating to my life. You see, that's another Twilight Zone aspect of this show we've never gotten into yet. And I'm not saying it's a good thing, but it comes as Titan gives up for the construction phase of its own three-module space station. That's right. The core module named TNA, and meaning Harmony of the Heavens, right, will be the main living quarters for crews of three astronauts on visits for up to six months at a time. TNA will provide power and propulsion for the whole space station. It also features a docking hub that will allow two later experiment modules to join with TNA, as well as provide ports for visiting crewed Tianzhou spacecraft and, and Tianzhou cargo vessels. The hub also provides an airlock for astronaut extravehicular activities or spacewalks. TNA, which is around 59 feet long and weighs about 24 tons, 
will launch atop a Long March 5B rocket from Wingtang Satellite Launch Center on the island of Hanging. I'm sure I'm saying all that wrong, and I don't give a crap. But final work and testing of the Long March 5B rocket to launch the mission is underway in Tianjin, North China. The rocket components will soon be transported by cargo ship to Wingtang. Tianzhou to a cargo and refueling spacecraft, which will launch soon after the visit. Tianyang also passed its flight readiness review. It will launch on a Long March 7 rocket, also from the Wingtang Launch Center. China carried out tests and verification of autonomous refueling and microgravity in 2017 by sending the Tianzhou-1 spacecraft to dock with and refuel Chang'an-2 in low-Earth orbit. The mission was a vital step for China's space station project as the future outpost will need to replenish fuel supplies spent to occasionally raise its orbit to counter the effects of atmospheric drag. China has not announced a timeline for the missions, instead stating that they will take place this spring. Previous Long March 5 launches were carried out around two months after the rocket components arrived at Wengcheng. Shenzhou-12, the first crewed mission to Tianhe, will launch after Tianzhou-2. It will launch from the Chenquan in the Gobi Desert atop of a Long March 2F rocket. China is planning 11 missions across 2021 and 2022 to complete the space station complex, including three module launches, four Shenzhou cargo ship missions, and four Shenzhou crewed missions. The completed outpost is expected to be about one-fifth the mass of the International Space Station, a project from which China was barred by the United States, and for very good reason. And now it was supposed to feel comfortable. Again, remember, the race is on. They want to secure the moon as quick as possible, as well as Mars. Mars is its prize. Listeners to this show could appreciate as we went over. But while China is constructing the space station alone, a first selection of international experiments will fly to the orbital complex after its completion. Those who have bent the knee to China's gaining a ground in space. So they're giving them, international collaborators and cooperationists are giving them international experiments to fly aboard their military Chinese commie complex above our heads. Now, released yesterday, it's kind of funny because you see how these little fluctuations of news and developments as the space race ramps up. As the report recommends NASA accelerate space nuclear propulsion development. Again, published yesterday, NASA needs to pursue aggressive development of space nuclear propulsion technologies if the agency wants to use them for human missions to Mars in the next two decades. Next two decades, you see, turtleneck snail pay speed policy agenda. Keep pushing it out in the way while the commie Chinese are racing and want to destroy our ability to have a place in space. But that's what a report by a National Academies Committee concluded. But a February 12 study by the National Academy, sponsored by NASA, said both nuclear thermal propulsion, NTPs, and nuclear electrical propulsion, NEPs, approaches must overcome significant hurdles to use in a 2039 human mission to Mars. Some systems could reduce the travel time of expeditions to Mars. Space nuclear propulsion technology shows great potential to facilitate the human exploration of Mars, said Bobby Braun, director for planetary science at JPL and co-chair of the committee that wrote the report in a statement. 
However, significant acceleration in the pace of technology maturation is required if NASA and its partners are to complete this mission within the stated timeline. Again, it's partners. Which partners? Hopefully, the ones are nationally entrepreneured instead of international collaborators and cooperationists, right? But anyway... Of the two technologies, the report was more optimistic about NTP, where a nuclear reactor heats up a fuel such as liquid hydrogen to generate thrust. An aggressive program could develop an NTP system capable of executing the baseline mission in 2039, the report concluded. Get on with it! But that ain't going to stop us from getting there before then. Let's put it this way, this technology that they're talking about. Again, support Elon Musk and his big effing rockets. But that technology, though, faces several challenges beyond the nuclear reactor itself. They include being able to heat up the propellant to a required temperature of 2,700 kelvins and bringing the system up to operating temperatures within one minute. Other challenges include a lack of ground-based testing facilities for NTP systems and difficulty storing liquid hydrogen for the duration of a mission. NEP, where a nuclear reactor generates power for electric thrusters, needs to scale up its power and thermal management systems to levels far beyond what's been demonstrated to date in order to work with megawatt-class reactors. The report, though, noted there has been little progress on relevant technologies since 2005, and the work that has been done has been limited to lower power systems. But as a result of low and intermittent investment over the past several decades, it is unclear if even an aggressive program would be able to develop an NEP system capable of executing the baseline mission in 2039, the report concluded. It nonetheless recommended NASA invigorate technology development for NEP systems. Yeah, and have to wait on a turtleneck sale pay speed policy agenda of getting us there. Until then, no, no, that's not how it's going to work. We have a race to win, and we have space to secure. There's no time. But NASA has been struggling to balance competing priorities for nuclear power and propulsion development. In addition to NTP and NEP, the agency has also has been working on surface fission power systems, such as killer power, that would provide power on the surface of the moon or Mars. The agency has tried to advance work on killer power because the technology has near-term applications for the Artemis Lunar Exploration Program, which doesn't need nuclear propulsion. But congressional advocates of NTP, though, have inserted report language into appropriation bills directing NASA to spend money on that effort. That includes the fiscal year 2021 appropriations bill enacted in December, which instructed NASA to spend $110 million of its $1.1 billion in space technology funding on NTP development, of which $80 million would go to the design of test articles that will enable a flight demonstration. NASA has not announced plans yet for a flight demonstration of an NTP system. Of course not. They're trying to push it out further while our existential enemies are gaining ground in space to cut us off before we could even establish. But at a January 27 meeting of the NASA Advisory Council's Technology Committee, members noted that they had previously advised NASA to make surface fission power a higher priority than NTP because of its applications for Artemis. 
Absolutely. We totally agree. Jim Reuter, NASA Associate Administrator for Space Technology, responded. The direction from Congress was nuclear thermal propulsion. He said NASA was moving ahead with the solicitation for NTP technology development because of the funding delaying one for surface nuclear power until later in the fiscal year. Nuclear thermal propulsion has high interest from a number of standpoints, both NASA and DOD. He added, it's a very good technology. The Trump administration, also in its final weeks, had also elevated surface nuclear power over NTP and NEP. Space Policy Directive 6, released December 16th, established a strategy for developing space nuclear technologies, including both power and propulsion. It prioritized surface nuclear power over nuclear propulsion because the latter is not needed for the Artemis program. Those things are important for going to Mars, a senior administration official said of nuclear propulsion at the time of the strategies released. But we're first doing the moon and leveraging terrestrial capabilities and technologies to put that foothold on the moon. Yes, and never mind Mars just basically handed it over to the commie Chinese. But it's not clear what relevance that strategy has under the Biden administration. Huh! It's all bells and whistles and toys in the attic, which has taken few measures yet regarding space policy. And we've already heard the mocking that was already done uh, regards to the Space Force, you know, and our precious guardians who are the spearhead for we the people as we embrace and move out into space. So let's read this last article. I guess we will get into it. From February 10th, scientists detect water vapor emanating from Mars. Researchers said Wednesday that they observed water vapor escaping high up in the thin atmosphere of Mars, offering tantalizing new clues as to whether the red planet could have once hosted life. And this is not new news, everybody. Listeners to this show could appreciate. But they do like to focus on these things time to time, don't they? But the traces of ancient valleys and river channels suggest liquid water once flowed across the surface of Mars. Today, the water is mostly locked up in the planet's ice caps or buried underground. But some of it is vaporizing in the form of hydrogen leaking from the atmosphere, according to the new research co-authored in the journal Science Advances by two scientists at Britain's Open University. But they detected the vapor by analyzing light passing through the Martian atmosphere using an instrument called the Nader and Occultation for Mars Discovery. The device is traveling aboard the ExoMars Trace Gas Orbiter, a joint mission between the European Space Agency and Russia's Roscosmos which has now been there a while. But this fantastic instrument has given us a never-before-seen view of water isotopes in the atmosphere of Mars as a function of both time and location. Manish Patel, senior lecturer in planetary sciences at the Open University, said, Measuring water isotopes is a crucial element of understanding how Mars as a planet has lost its water over time and therefore how the habitability of the planet has changed throughout its history, he said. It has been a very busy week for Martian research, he states. So these little bits of tidbits of news, which these other advances, pun intended, of these various missions reaching Mars now and orbiting are going to help validate each other, cross-correlated. Hopefully all of it's going to be open-free data, but we'll see. But it is interesting, the fact of the matter is, that all eyes are on Mars. Well, I guess that being said, that's enough news, and I guess uh, we should go to a break and then come back, bring on our guest, Michael Orell. So that being said, 
I would like everyone to please go to www.thefacesofmars.com. That's right. Scroll on down the page. See the information about tonight's guest, Michael Laurel, and the information about him. Click on the link to his book there. And under the link to his book, you can click the image below his book for Michael Laurel's show discussion picks page. So you click on that. That's going to open up a separate page for the viewers to be able to uh, check it out. It's like 72 images. So we'll try and get through whatever we can. He's got an interesting perspective. And in my opinion, it's definitely relevant or correlescent with what, what I have found on Mars. So it's definitely a worthy go for the Martian revelation. And of course, you can scroll on down the page. Make sure to check out UFO Diary, Cydonia. There's some still images under that to help you along. And there's other things to do and look at on the page. Especially check out my buddy Rami Barilan's latest exclusive Mars images. You can click on those images, go check it out on Facebook, join it, see what many people are finding. And under that, there's a few more Facebook-related Mars groups, Mars Anomaly groups. More have got to be added to the page. Not trying to leave anyone out. I just got to update things. <laughs> so that being said, I listen to this show that we got a motto here that we all appreciate. Pack them and smoke them, because you're definitely going to need them when we come back on the Martian Revelation. <laughs> I'll be back. Don't run. We are your friends. Imagine that everything the U.S. government has told you about UFOs since Roswell has been a lie. Imagine that in the decade after Roswell, the government attempted communication with the aliens and succeeded. And after that, in absolute secrecy, things had gone far, far beyond this. Now imagine that tomorrow... The whole secret program is going to fall apart, and every terrible thing is going to come out. All we have left now is a prayer. Morning Star Pass, the collapse of the UFO cover-up. A fictional but unflinching and terrifying look inside the UFO cover-up. The secret government that supports it, and the world of the aliens themselves. And then, how the whole secret kingdom ends. Morning Star Pass, a book that pulls no punches and does not sheath the sword unblooded. Morning Star Pass, plunging boldly where no other book has ventured, captures the whole wondrous nightmare that the UFO experience has become. From bizarre experiments performed on helpless abductees, to horrifying mutilations, to beyond, to the world of secret government supported by its own secret police, to the aliens in their secret bases, and finally to the beckoning stars themselves. The book does this by placing the cover-up, humanity, and the Earth in the real cosmos, where humanity and its passions are a part of the universe, not an aberration on it. Then comes the fall of the cover-up. In a climax of violence and desperation, to leave the human race facing the multi-hued stars with eyes open and seeking its place in them. The sands of time have run out for the cover-up, for against it, leading an army of investigators and warriors, comes Cassandra Chen, beautiful, driven, and doomed. Who can save her and us? Haha, <laughs> you'll have to read it to find out. Morning Star Pass, the collapse of the UFO cover-up by Victor Norgard. Get yours today. You can find this at www.firstbooks.com.
Yes, indeed. Over that mountain. Over the mountain. How fitting for tonight's show and tonight's guest as well. As that also steals the light to help reveal its impressions that could be seen from afar and on a scale unimaginable. So welcome back, everyone. I'm Gary Legier, the Mars Revealer, known also as the Mad Martian. And, of course, you're listening to the Martian Revelation. That's upon you all again now. And now that you packed them and smoked them, and that seems to be the quality and the genre of what capabilities and abilities and the things that were left behind in the ancient past here on Earth, as well as on Mars with that potential connection there of faces, works of art that are strewn about the surface of the planets, Mars and Earth, all in the megalithic sense that goes beyond our comprehension of our knowledge of our historical presence that we all try to find to explain for these features that we must have had a hand in it. Pun intended. But that's not always so. Not only does this race to Mars and its importance, reading between the lines, I think you listeners could appreciate where it's leading us and leading them for those players who are racing and gaining knowledge and acquiring the information of what's there for themselves to see. Bringing dark to light, maybe for some and not all, but it's still an incredible obsession in my mind of what is seen on Mars and on Earth, especially regarding ancient sites, legends and lore, and most importantly, artifacts from a small scale to a very large scale, mountain-sized scales, bizarre scales. The question would be, though, what is the human experience with all these things here in the past, as well as on Mars? Were we even a species here on Earth when all of that on Mars was there and thriving and what happened to it happened to it destroying and decimated this planet and this atmosphere? That helped create so much ruin, leaving those remnants of, of an again proposed dead civilization. I still need more data on that. Just because it looks dead doesn't mean it's dead. These things could be seen from the air, which tells us that whoever did up Mars... And the many things that I see there, from my opinion, they were able to lay it out all from above, if not help create it from above. Now, the implicating aspects, which brings it all the more interesting, again, where is human's presence? Because on Earth, this also seems to have been applied. But Earth has had so many more upheavals that it are literally erased from the surface much of, I believe, of what still lays beneath the surface of what once was above the surface. And there's lots of evidences above the surface that beneath the surface may lay a lot more wonder. And our guest tonight, Michael Orell, has very interesting facts and relevant subjects that connect to us all, especially regards of faces. Again, whether it's on Mars or on Earth, is imprinted down through time leaving us here now down through time to wonder and consider the possibilities of what it all represents. So let's introduce our guest, Michael Orell. And Michael Orell was born in San Diego. He grew up in La Mesa. When he was 13, his father, a San Diego policeman, was killed in a dune buggy accident in Mexico. Damn, sorry. Uh, but reeling Orell went looking for answers to some of life's biggest questions. Why are we here? What happens when we die? Are we alone in the universe? 
But Michael is a 64-year-old retired graphic designer who in 1990, while hiking with two friends in the San Diego Outback, accidentally captured a single 35-millimeter frame with his Canon EOS 650 camera of 10 daylight UFOs that are seen. Upon having the objects professionally enlarged, one of the craft was revealed to exactly duplicate that of the Kecksburg UFO, but it had a strange anomaly in the form of a spike-like projection that overall was later found on numerous other UFO photos and countless ancient artifacts. And Mike claims that this represents an actual UFO Rosetta Stone and has convinced numerous journalists who have featured the real story in front-page coverage in every newspaper in San Diego, as well as an award-winning CBS interview. Mike also claims that one of the UFOs in his now-famous In Your Heart UFO photo is hovering over the world's largest natural rock face on a local mountain for which he has also received front-page coverage. Mike also claims to be the first human to recognize that the Pyramid of the Sun in Teotihuacan, Mexico, is a purposely designed giant human head. Now, that's a new aspect I think uh, I and my listeners would definitely like to hear more about on the show. Pack him and smoke him. But he's explored connections between the objects in his photo and relics from the ancient cultures and believes that there are higher levels of civilization out there. And Mike does not claim to be an expert on the subject, just an average citizen seeking to improve our civilization who believes that if everyone saw the same evidence for E.T. and UFOs that he has seen, that they would make the logical conclusion that mankind is not alone and behave accordingly, then they will return. His popular book, Aliens from Above, The Last in Line, tells the tale. Again, click on the link for his book on thefacesofmars.com. And under that link to his book, click on the image for Michael Laurel's show, Discussion Picks page. So click on that. That'll pop open a separate page. And so I think this is a very fascinating, relevant subject. And uh, we'd like to thank you, Mike, for joining us tonight. And do you think that it is all coincidence about what we are finding pictographically on this planet as well as on Mars. Is there any connections? Or am I and others just crazy? But again, thanks for being on. How are you doing? Well, thanks, Gary, for having me on your show. Can you hear me well? Oh, yes, sir. Yes, sir. Hopefully everyone else can, too. Um, you hear me well? Yes. So as far as a, con a connection between the face on Mars and this giant face on El Cajon Mountain, uh, there could possibly be a connection. Uh, it could also be a case of pareidolia, where I, as an artist, see faces in many rocks and elsewhere in the clouds. But this face on El Cajon Mountain is not a cloud. Over a mile. It's what? It's not a cloud. <laughs> no, it's not. And apparently, I wasn't the first one to discover it. It was pretty famous in Elkhorn Valley, and they called it the old man in the mountain, but there was never any publicity about it. And I just accidentally discovered it uh, as an art major in Grossmont College while looking at some of my photographs of this mountain, and it just popped out. And I showed it to some friends of mine who agreed. There's definitely a large man-ape face within a perfect circle on El Cajon Mountain. And I've been spending the last 31 years trying to give it some publicity, and I've succeeded to 
some degree. It's been on TV and made some front-page news, but I think it should be voted San Diego Signature Landmark, Gary. You can see it, right? Yes, I did. I got to admit, though, at first, to some of the images that you've shown, it, it took me a minute. I was more fascinated with the geometry aspect of it that seems so perfect, the circle that, that yeah. resides in. But then, uh, I, I believe it or not, I packed it and smoked it, found a better image of it, and I was like, holy shit. I was like, now let me compare it to what <laughs> you see in that drawing. I was like, I see an ape-like figure and a hominid ape-like yes. uh, figure and i was like you know what this is incredible and this one was actually uh zoomed out uh, i guess across the area or valley whatever you want to call it. you can see buildings in the city and and i was right. like no crap because i wanted to focus on the circle aspect and we'll get into that now mm -hmm. but before we do how how big from edge to edge of that circle is that, or have you done that measurement yet? I have not, and I've always wanted to get a drone up there to make a video of this uh, geological phenomenon, but I haven't done it, and in my best guesstimate, it's like over a mile wide, easily, and you're right, the photo from downtown out in Point Loma, you can see this remarkable man-ape face on the mountain from over 20 miles away. So it's not going anywhere. It's survived uh, several fires that uh, uh, hit San Diego in the past years. And uh, furthermore... Right, this is uh, not trees or bushes, but this is not trees or bushes that would help also give the impressions of what, what one would say is a face. See, someone could say, look, it's trees and bushes. Uh, no, it's not. And not, not that I see. Right, and uh, it it is, um, as far as I can tell, a natural rock formation. However, with my metaphysical background, I'm not going to discount the fact that in the vast infant scope of consciousness, all is possible, which includes the fact that aliens may have not only created the face on Mars, which is still there, <laughs> but this giant face on El Cajon Mountain, and this is why, because you know, it's related to my UFO story of 10 UFOs that were hovering over Boom, the which, which, of this which, mountain. which we're going to get into. Now, everyone that, okay. the, everyone on the facesofmars.com that clicked on the image to see uh, Mike Orell's show discussion uh, pics page, the picture that you click on, I guess, is a painting uh, I want to know more about that, and so will the listeners. Uh, that you can see the the painting there, the mountain, the UFOs in the sky, uh, the Indian dude or whoever just chilling out. He packed them and smoked them, and he's really seeing it all. And look at that face on the top mountain. That's hard to miss within a circle. Now that is a rep visual representation, artistic representation that Mike, I believe, you had painted that. That shows this feature, um, and and how pronounced and what he was able to bring out here. Just wait till we start looking at the pictures later, everyone. But if again, click on that image; it'll bring you up to a separate page, Mike Arell's, uh show discussion picks page. And uh, there's a lot to go through. But what he was just talking about, <coughs> coincidentally, I guess, when you took that image of these UFOs. <laughs> that obviously later you would have seen 
that there were UFOs in them. Did you already know? And that was above this particular mountain. Am I right? And uh, did you already know and see the face at that time when you were visualizing even that mountain and you just got an extra Jack Box, Jack in the Box prize with these UFOs? I did, had already found the face on the mountain, which I've nicknamed uh, Ori after my aviator grandfather, who was a naval air pilot in World War II, or uh -huh. excuse me, World War One, and uh, it was at least seven to eight years later that I would accidentally photograph 10 UFOs, and one of them was hovering over the backside of El Cajon Mountain, and that particular UFO, upon uh, professional enlargement, was discovered to have the contour of the Kecksburg acorn-shaped craft, and it exhibited a spike-like projection that turned out to be the Rosetta Stone to literally unravel the UFO mystery, as I found numerous other UFO photos with that same spike-like projection. And this is what's really cool, Gary. When you go to the park where I took the now-famous Inyaha UFO photo. Emuha. There is a platform. Is that the, is that the I'm right. sorry, Emuha. What is Emuha again? Inyaha. I-N-A-J-A -A is Kumaya Indian for small tears because huh. it turns out one day before I was born in this very valley, there was a fire that overtook 11 firemen fighting it and killed them, and wow. this park was dedicated to their memory. And the idea that this happened one day before I was born, uh, let me tell you, when we discovered this park in 1990 while on a photographic expedition with uh, my buddy and my girlfriend, the first thing we found was the memorial marker at the entrance to Enyaha Memorial Picnic Trails. And uh, my buddy pointed out, hey, you better look at this, Mike, because he knows I'm a believer in reincarnation. So uh, that sort of alerted me, Gary, that this is going to be a special little hike. And sure enough, when we got to scenic spot number seven, we're looking at 18 miles of the San Diego River Valley. And um, I took just one photo because it was getting late, and none of us saw the UFOs hovering in the distant background until I got the film back from Thrifties. And then I saw that nine were in formation on the left, the east side of the valley, and on the west side was this single craft. And what's really cool is at the spot I took it is a periscope device that when you look through it, an indicator at the bottom tells you what mountain you're looking at. If you put that indicator on El Cajon Mountain, where years earlier I had found this largest natural rock face on Earth, if you look through the periscope device, you will see the exact airspace that this single craft was hovering over El Cajon Mountain, which is quite a connection when you consider how important and and popular the UFO phenomena is. So yeah, and when you when you my, took this picture, you didn't know you didn't see the UFOs at that point until it was developed, correct? This is correct. Yep. So that means how Otherwise, how big? Oh, I'm sorry. Uh, how big do you think they were? They, you think they were the Kecksburg size? How far behind the mountain range, or was it directly above, or more towards you and the mountain? 
Well, it, I'm trying to estimate how far these objects were away. I know, right? Because I had my can I had my Canon camera on maximum zoom focus with a, uh, a 50 to 150 zoom lens, and I'm thinking that they were at least five miles away. And thank gosh, I knew a photographer's trick. Uh, to take a clear photograph, I had set the camera down on the brick wall where the periscope device is. I took a deep breath, exhaled, and then slowly squeezed the shutter. And we scrambled out of there because we had never been to this park before and had no idea how far it was back to the parking lot. But uh, I knew that I had caught a great picture because the sun was setting. There was a blue haze uh, covering the valley. And Sure enough, two weeks later, I got the film back and saw these objects, which I first thought was a negative glitch or birds, Uh but I had my own enlarger, and I threw them in there and blew it up, and I'm looking at objects that have no wings, no alerons, they're uniform in density and shape, and uh, that's when I called the... Well, actually, I I talked to a friend of mine and showed the pictures, and he said they were flying ducks, and I said... I know you're not an artist, Jeff, but show me the wings or alerons in these objects. And he couldn't. So I said, look, I'll go back to the same spot. I'll take some photographs of birds and planes in the same area, and, and then I can compare. Right. So, Gary, two weeks later, two weeks later, I went back to the same spot. I took pictures of birds and planes, and I turned around to leave. And, oh, my gosh, here is a boulder. 15 feet behind the platform where I took the UFO photograph. And this boat is shaped exactly like an alien's head. And it's since become quite famous, actually. It made uh, coverage in the Daily Californian. And during my 2006 CBS interview, mm-hmm. they demanded I take them all the way up to this park so they could see this alien head boulder for themselves, as well as the spot I shot the UFO photos. And sure enough, that interview in 2006 won the first place award at the 2011 McMinnville UFO Film Festival. So they saw how this photograph of these 10 UFOs has been authenticated by leading photographic experts, and uh, we just took it from there, and it's, it's nonstop. It's been 31 years since I took that photo. And here we are still talking about it, Gary. So that's uh, images number one and two for the UFOs and images 52, 53, and 54, I believe he's referring to. Now, what was their impression about uh, the obviously uh, bigger elephant in the valley there? <laughs> there? You know, there is. They. That's a very pop elephant formation. It's to the left of Ori. And uh, it's funny because we have a program on TV here in San Diego. It's called About San Diego. And twice they tried to feature this old man in the mountain, which it was formerly known as. And both times they failed miserably to outline the face. And despite my best efforts, they did not take me up on it. And still they uh, are clueless about the actual man-ape face on El Cajon Mountain, which I discovered on my own in about 1985. Have you walked up up on it, or is it too high? Well, I came real close, uh, and uh, one of the photographs on my Facebook wall 
shows how close I came to it. But there are people that have climbed that area, and I'm not a mountain climber, and it is pretty rugged terrain. So I've just uh, admired it from afar, I guess. But I also saw it as I was flying in to San Diego, I looked down, and you can see it. I mean, I'm amazed that uh, ah, it hasn't been. Thank you. So you, that, that's the next big question I was coming to. So you were actually in an airplane, looked down on this feature, and you still seen it from above. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. He's there. And did it look better? Did it look better? Did it look better being above it? Was it more pronounced than when you are on the ground looking at it to the side like that? Was there differences? No, not really. No, because I was further away uh, being in the air. However, I was pleased that it was recognizable from the air. When you're on the ground, it's yes. much clearer, especially if you're in that valley, uh, which has just recently been. Uh, appropriated by uh, our town council. They bought uh, like 200 acres, which is great because they want to make it into like a big park. And the idea is eventually this is going to be made into hopefully a feature film. I've already talked to a Hollywood Hollywood producer who saw my book, Aliens from Above, The Last in Line, and she saw the evidence and said, hey, this uh, deserves to be a big budget movie with the hook, the day after tomorrow, but with aliens. The day after tomorrow is a great movie with Dennis Quaid. Yes, but uh, and it would be based on my book, which is a colorful uh, um, story about how the face was made on the mountain by uh, aliens who abducted a, a native uh, Indian who helped them design it, and it was. Uh, uh, it's a good thing. <laughs> a, 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 a complete fictional, or is it based on actual any Indian lore or legend? That would be part of the uh, fiction half of the book. The first half, where I creatively design how this face was created, is fiction. I haven't talked okay. to Native Americans about it, although I would say this. When I first made my website years ago, I was contacted by the Cherokee elders who saw how I've linked this projecting acorn UFO to numerous petroglyphs and pictographs, and they requested that I build a link to their homepage, which I did, and I was honored to do that. And uh, for anybody who sees my Facebook wall and uh, can scroll, it would be endless because I've been doing this for years, you'll see how I've linked my UFO to ancient Indian artifacts. Mm -hmm. And again, uh, on that uh, show picks page, um, I don't know if you have the show picks page open with you on your end. No, they're, they're, oh, I don't. Oh, mm. well, that makes it a little harder then. <laughs> but uh, you can vocalize, and I'll take it from there, brother. <laughs> right. All right. So um, now, what was that? all right? So now you've seen it from above. Now, have you ever? Have you scanned uh, Google Earth imagery over the varied years that it may have took images from above? I would definitely, uh, I'm definitely going to do that. I want to see the circumference of the circle. Now, how pronounced was the circle from above? I could see it, and uh, that's a great idea, by the way, using Google Earth, because what I do... Because then I can do the exact measurement, too. Right. I... Uh, 
have collected um, thousands of books uh, after I made my discovery that contain a lot of the evidence. And some of these books are uh, picturesque uh, books of San Diego, and a lot of them contain the image of Ori on the mountain, including calendars, postcards, but it's unknown. These people don't know but there's a face on the mountain. And let me tell you, I was a native San Diegan. I'm 64 now. And it took me uh, until I was 40 to see this face on the mountain. Uh, it's like hidden. But then because NASA found that face on Mars, Gary, in 1974, I, I had a, like an internal clock ready to find my own faces. So when that happened, it was like, oh, well, I got my own rock face here. And uh, well, it's nothing to really laugh thing. at, though, because it could be the serious implications. And what I'm seeing, you know, as an artist and as an independent Mars researcher and image analyst myself, I'm like, right. wow, you know, and, and just like looking at the face of Cydonia first from 98 onward and 76, like you said, Viking and onward and, and the various resolutions. But once you get past a certain perception of the mind or I don't know like uh, you said it earlier Phil Plate and others really helped coin it as a means of debunction you said pareidolia but yet this doesn't just have a facial feature people there's geometry about it there's a circle that's really uh, <laughs> it's it's as amazing as the face to me it's that, on this prospect of this face now uh, from its from its uh, look of it, I would. That's why I wonder different varied years of Google Earth imagery, uh, depending how good that they have imaged it over time. You should get a good analysis of winter and spring and summer, and how this thing looks. But remember, think about Dr. Samira's Monogich, You know, and how many wars they went through, and you know, eons that's been right. sitting there, and people living on the side of a pyramid <laughs> in Bosnia. You know, yeah. I mean, you know, so this is that's like right. the same type of thing, almost kind of, uh, just as megalithic. We're dealing with mountain ranges that have been modified, which you said natural face formation. I don't, because of the geometry and the coincidences of the face, I don't think it's, it's natural. It's natural in the sense, well, obviously it's a mountain sitting there. You know, there's rocks, but how do we know how far back of what is carved it? Uh, you know, and, and that's why, you know, getting actual feet on, cameras on, crevices, uh, like Dr. Jo uh, yep. Dr. Jock Doubleday of the Bosnian Pyramid Foundation, videographer, he calls seams, you know, and says, uh, you know, technology of the shielding of the ancients. Um, so that may be applied there as well. Actually, I, I think I should bring Jock on and bring this up to him if he... I think he'd be fascinated by this potentiality, especially with the geometry and the surrounding features of the little, uh, like the little rock head-like features. I wish you did, um, like, an image fit, what was it, people, 52, yeah, 53 and 54, um, being at that face that you could have got from all sides, the front and the other side as well. How did those look? Um, and, you know, it really depends on what time of day. Uh, Again, time of day, son. And, and as far as the angles go, um, 
I have never been able to get too far to the left, but here's the interesting why, thing. Why, you fall off a cliff? You know, the, yeah. Well, that's why I want to get my drone up there, uh, but I'm having issues with it because I would like to make some very good uh, detailed footage of it. But, Gary, can you notice that that face is in the direct center of that circle? I mean, it's not to the one side or the other. It's in the direct it's, middle. It looks specifically. It looks specifically placed. Now people say, "Well, it's yes. natural. You see all the crevices." Well, first off, can you date the rocks? Then shut the f up. Number one. Number two. That's why being on it. Look for anything seams, uh, uh, melt marks. Uh, you know, it could be car, car again uh -huh. carved from above. If you go to my realm of madness and what I see on Mars, what I believe is the case, right. could have been potentially potentiality there as well. Because of the geometry, and like you said, the face it just sits on there in such a way. I mean, so, the odds are astronomical when you look at all these coincidences just within that feature. That's why it's important. I'm going to follow up uh, on that and with you, sir, and uh, about the Google Earth uh, aspects. Let's see what we could come up with. I'm really fascinated about that like that. that that circle, though, because yeah, I could see. Okay, well, what it says is natural, but look, it's too. Geometrical is too perfect, and how it goes around evenly to the I other agree. side, and where that face sits, and the way that face is angled, it, it, yeah. and like you said, by the sun depends which angle the sun. Is there a notice of a difference? What is seen or not seen? Let's say every day when the sun comes up, to the sun goes down, are there changes compared to seasonal changes as well? Have you tried taking observations of that? Sure. As a matter of fact, I drove into El Cajon Valley uh, just today, uh -huh. and for you San Diego uh, residents who are listening, all you have to do is travel on 8 uh, West, and as soon as you drop into the valley, there's a big arc on the freeway that goes to the left, and there is Ori. He is staring at you from across the valley. Now, today there was a, a few clouds, so he wasn't quite as visible as he is on a cloudless day, but I could still see him. And let me tell you, Gary, if you drive the freeway close to him as you're heading to Alpine, it freaks you out because he was watching you with this stern look. And let me tell you, it, it's uh, it's amazing. Let's put it that way. I don't want to say freakishly scary, but it can be if you take into a fact that this face on Elko Mountain is linked to my UFO story, which, by the way, I was studying and gathering evidence for my UFO theories, and I discovered that there is a race of um, advanced alien, tall alien beings who have been uh, uh, drawn as having a high-collared cape or robe, and this is exactly what I designed on the face on the mountain years earlier because it's there. There is a high-collared robe to the right of the face that's obviously there. And sure enough, in all these books about UFOs, there is a sketch of somebody who had run into an advanced alien being who had the same high-collared robe that laid on the right. And I thought, wow, you know, that's not my imagination. So... I've actually posted that on my Facebook wall a few times. 
I'm yeah, not sure anybody appreciates it but me, but <laughs> that's how it goes. Well, the sooner the better you can get some drone footage and work and maybe having two drones even coming at two different angles with three, all the better, right? Stereoscopic, big time. I like that. You know, that would be right. uh, an impressive uh, study for sure. Um, but, yeah, I think the Google Earth aspect at the moment, uh, short of that, of the drones would be the best route to go. I'm definitely fascinated. Now, it could be a natural formation that was happened upon or utilized based on what's there, depending in the eyes of the beholder of the creator, as it was. Exactly. And then the tools that right. we used, again, to me, something like this, the tools uh, would be used would be from above uh, rather than on the ground or on the actual side. But then, right. again, but then again, I'm crazy. But... Uh, but the, the only thing left to consider is the impossible when you rule out the aspects. And the name yes. of that image, the drawing I think you were talking about, is of the Ori, is San Diego's own Ori uh, with a, a triangular face. And, uh, right, is that yes. the one drawing you're talking about? All right, Mean Green's going uh, along there, so that's cool. Appreciate that, Mean. That very, that very handsome logo designed, actually put on hats and T-shirts and marketed down at our local swap meets. And it did very well, actually. Uh, that's why I wanted to take it to the next step and make a, a marketable movie of it. So what I did was I made, in 2010, a YouTube video, 12 minutes long, called UFOs in San Diego, which is basically a slide video, but uh, it gives a basic uh, 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 summation of how I discovered this UFO pattern and uh, I didn't really go into the face on the mountain, but it's definitely linked. And it made the front page of the Daily Californian with the headline, Making a Martian Out of a Mountain. And let me tell you, they got hundreds of phone calls, Gary, from local residents, half of whom said, oh, wow, we didn't know we have a local uh, face on a mountain. And half people said, well, everybody knows about the old man in the mountain. Say, pack and it and smoke me. it. Say, pack one and smoke one, and uh, then go out and look. <laughs> I'm serious because yeah. it, it helps with perceptions, and that comes. You know, everyone laughs at that. That comes from a, an astronomer who remained nameless. He's famous, and but he had told me that trick years ago, and that helps him find and detect things in space. And shit, sure enough, right. it, it works. You know, and you need it, especially when you spend hours and hours and hours over image data of space, let alone other planetary surfaces or even this one. <laughs> you know, it's right under all right. their noses all along. So it's like the, there has to be a perception shift. So it, that's a positive thing, you know. Um, yeah. Now, so, again, depending on the size of this, if that's like a mile wide, that's also consistent to the megalithic, uh, you know, art carvings I see on Mars, too. Uh a lot of miles, a mile and a half, mile and corners, two miles, three miles. I mean, things are huge. And, you know, when you look look overall at the size of this whole mountain range in particular, I'm betting that there's a lot more around this uh, circle than meets the eye, pun intended. But, again, I'm crazy, and I, look, I see through the eyes of an artist, and I see the geometry, not the numbers. But I'm sure uh, mathematicians... If they see that and use their math side of their brains, 
they will be able to even, again, it's, the odds are astronomical. So have you got any mathematicians aspect to this so far, or do we need more input to present to them to get that? We would need more input because right now it's, I'm a one-man show trying to promote it, and uh, I'm not a professional. Uh, I'm not an expert on anything, actually. I'm just... Well, you don't have to be. You, you, you have an open you have an open mind, obviously. You have open eyes. That's right. And you've seen it. Maybe you packed it and smoked it. Maybe that's what it took for you. I mean, and again, that's, <laughs> that's not a bad yes. thing. You know, and if anything... I would require anyone that lives out there around this to do just that for shits and giggles. See for yourself. You'll hone in on the main. Right. You'll hone in on the main feature, and then who knows? And then as you go walking around, look, you stumbled uh, across a rock, right there that looks like an alien head that you know, that you kneel by and everything, and and you said it's specifically placed somewhere. I mean, what else is yeah. around there? Because like the Bosnian Pyramid area. Though it's all covered with grass and trees, under all that shit has all been intelligently created and designed before any of that was even there. Even the Bosna and Fonica rivers were modified. So, you know, this is, it's, when you think in terms like that, the scale of sizes, you, you, you adapt to it, you get over it. All right, and then it makes you really wonder then how, never, never let alone how the hell did the pyramids be built, sculpted rocks. We have bigger ideas than that on so-called natural features. Who knows how old yep. it is, that natural feature, and what exactly was carved on it in its heyday. And for some reason, the imprint of the signature of their intelligence is still there over the eons. Yes, Does that make sense? I like that. that. I'm going to write that down. <laughs> oh, yeah, well, it's true, but, you though. Know, it, it's, it's absolutely true, Gary, that my mind was, uh, I had a prerequisite of studying metaphysics after my pop dad died in 1971, and I studied the top writers of metaphysics who wrote about the same thing that was not in our a normal school curriculum. Right. So when I went to college... My mind was way out there compared to all my friends, so I thought, well, you know, I just got to ride with it, and I had practiced these metaphysical laws, and I saw the importance of our thoughts. Our thoughts, when they got, are sent out strong enough, they come back as material manifestations. Now, what's interesting was, and it's in my book, when I was 10 years old, Gary, I solved my first UFO mystery. Um, I found one paper, a newspaper article, when I came home from sixth grade on the, on the dining table, and here was a picture in our local paper of UFO. And at that same time, here was Star Trek and Outer Limits and the Twilight Zone right. that were feeding my imagination. So I saved this photograph of this UFO. Two days later, I come home from school again, and once again, on top of the tiny table is a newspaper, and here is that same photo, only it's turned upside down, and it's actually the top of a car in a flood, and the upright telephone pole was a reflection in the water. Huh. And I went, oh, my gosh. And I went, and I saved, let me, I saved both of those articles for years. As, uh, well, maybe you just little, found the missing person, uh, and, so uh, you have to look to find anything. Yeah, <laughs> that's right. 
So I was all set for finding this face on El Cajon Mountain. And when I took my UFO photo on July 1st, 1990, uh, I did not dismiss it as birds or planes or negative glitch like some of my photographic friends would have. It's just such so an iconic photo, though. It's so iconic. And it was uh, how now it was right above this mountain, right? Of this with this feature of this face that these craft were, right? Yes. That is the, the talk one, about one, phenomenal. One of, Gary, only one of the craft was hovering over the backside of the mountain. Now you can't see the face from the backside, but the idea that a single craft was hovering over a mountain that has on its western face the largest natural rock face on earth and that this single craft provided a key to unravel the ufo mystery which is how i won front page coverage in every newspaper in town that's not an accident that's not a joke and to win front page coverage in the san diego union tribune you better have your shit together. Where is and, he uh, looking? It, Where is that face looking? Is it looking toward the Pacific? Is it looking toward Mexico? Yeah. Looking toward Canada? It, I mean, it, I, I'm trying to figure this out because it, if it's a natural formation that was happened upon, its visage is definitely looking toward, and as a, that's at an angle. I mean, I don't know. That could mean something. It is uh, a nice profile shot. You can see the the man-ape's left ear, but not his right ear. Right. And he is facing toward the Pacific Ocean, which, by the way... That's interesting. Uh, you know, in San Diego, it seems to be a hot spot for UFO visitations. In 2008, we had another fleet of UFOs videotaped above a uh, party celebrating New Year's, and... Uh, they couldn't identify those objects captured on this video. There's like nine or ten UFOs just hovering. And I'm, I swear it was the same fleet of UFOs that had visited uh, Inyaha Valley or that San Diego River Valley back in 1990. That's possible. And, and there has been other confirmation. Uh, in the David Californian, about five years before I took my UFO photo, Two teenage boys won front-page coverage with their drawing of a triangular UFO that they saw hovering uh, between two hills, and they drew it perpendicular to the ground, just like my UFOs. So that's a, a confirmation on the side, and there's a lot of other ones. When I went to my first UFO conference in 2002 in Mission Valley, I had a lot of people approach me. And they were seriously still stunned by what they saw, uh, including this couple. And I might say they had seen this brilliant blue light in a valley that they had passed by for 20 years. And there was no explanation for that blue light until I told them, I said, hey, look, I've captured 10 Kecksburg UFOs in a single photograph. And according to that Unsolved Mysteries episode that aired September 1990, the civilians who found the craft were attracted to it by the brilliant blue light that that object emanated, because I believe that crash was on purpose before the military came and carted it away, claimed it was a meteorite. Yeah. I believe that aliens aliens knew that that Kecksburg UFO would one day uh, be the 
uh, key to help unravel the UFO mystery. Yes, indeed. Well, if, if anything still helps enhance it, because it comes around. And I notice there's other mountains in the area and everything. I'm still, huh. You said, uh, have you looked on the other side of this mountain? Has anything looked odd or, or on any mountains around this as far as you know? <laughs> That's funny. Funny you should mention that. There was a satellite photo of the area. Again, aerial views. At the, as I'm looking at the very valley where I photographed the UFOs, I suddenly realized that the whole area is a giant acorn shape. And I'm shocked. Huh. I was shocked. I mean, the same acorn artifacts that I have found that replicate my UFO, as well as the Kecksburg UFO, including a Mayan uh, life-size uh, statue of the Kecksburg craft, they all are acorn-shaped, and sure enough, the entire valley area was a giant acorn shape. But once again, that's hmm. just my personal research, and there's so much other stuff that's obvious that I don't put that ahead of the fact that there is a face. And I can't go up to somebody on the street and say, hey, what do you think about San Diego Signature Landmark? And be able, wow, that's amazing. But uh, I'm working on it, and with help from uh, interested uh, 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 revealers like yourself, Gary, which I appreciate you having me on your show. Yeah, uh, well, it's got to be explored. Definitely, it's got to be explored more and uh, discussed more. Now, you said you don't do that? You don't go around asking the citizens around there? Hey, what do you see there? I mean, you know, type of thing. Look real quick, you know. And then, you know what I'm saying? What is the, you know, what are the people around there also thinking? Well, that's why I was very pleased when this made the front page of the Daily Californian in 1992. That And it was in their uh, newspaper boxes purposely all weekend long so that when they came back to the office Monday, there were literally hundreds of phone calls. Because in El Cajon, there was this mountain, and everybody didn't know that there was a face on it. Well, some, most of them didn't. But the other ones, like I said, had already known about the old man in the mountain. Well, nobody told me. And let me tell you, I have never seen anything like this in any other country in the world. Nobody has like this. a giant natural rock face which should be San Diego Signature Landmark. And let me tell you, you know how many paranormal fans there are around the world, and this is linked to UFOs. So the idea is I also found a rock face in La Jolla Cove that won front page coverage in the Beach and Bay Press, uh, along with my UFO story and how I've given two presentations to Russian delegations headed by uh, my former um, famous test pilot, Marina Popovich, who has since passed on, and they were amazed that I had actually linked their UFO photograph to the same projecting triangles on the desert floor at Nazca that I linked my UFO photo. So sure enough, Marina Popovich would be the first human to hold up my Inyaha UFO photo on ABC Channel 10 locally, that's KGTV, nice. and uh, I was very proud of the fact that this famous gal... Uh, uh, thought enough of my UFO photo to hold it up on television. That's pretty cool. Right. Now, what is that? Also, oh, so I'm sorry. Go ahead. I would also mention, uh, just to uh, 
indicate the fact that I have captured UFOs, and they're not birds or planes. Um, in 2011, our San Diego Air and Space Museum uh, had a year-long exhibit called The Science of Aliens. Now, when I read that in the Union Tribune, I called them and spoke to their curator and said, look, you need to check out my website. I've taken a picture of UFOs here in San Diego. He called me back and said, Mike, we want to see everything you got, the negatives, the photos, all the articles. Right. I brought them down there, and sure enough, they did their research, and they made an excellent marquee of my story with one of my articles that was in that exhibit for over a year as real possible evidence of UFOs. And mm. that's a big feather in my cap that the unit that the San Diego Air and Space Museum and their experts right. identified these objects as real UFOs. So that was pretty cool. And I'm like I said, I'm just a an amateur photographer, a retired graphic designer, and I'm doing all this on the side at my own expense. I'm not trying to make money off it, even though I got a book out. But you got to have a book if you want to claim to be anybody in ufology. I know, I'm still writing mine. Actually, I'm about to get back into it. I'm 65 pages in, though, but I've been saying that for the past year. Hey, you started. If you started, that, I, know I just wrote uh, paragraphs a night, every night for a year. Right. Until I was done. Oh, that's, you know, it'll be graphic intensive. I just got to get over a couple of hurdles so I could uh, start focusing more on that. You know what I mean? Uh, hopefully soon. Right. But um, but looking at this, though, even on a natural formation, as something is implicated like this, I'm, I'm going to say it's probably been art carved in the past, but that's my crazy opinion. But uh, considering the other structures. I like that, your crazy opinion. I like yeah, it. man. But looking I at other images, oh, what? I couldn't come out and say that I believe it was made by extraterrestrials because I already have a kook factor involved with the, the UFOs. Well, but because it's but also here it's on in Earth. the middle of a circle, right? Yes, exactly. Too many coincidences going on there at once. Yes, but also. Uh, we see these things also around the earth in terms of natural formations having the obviously uh, art artscape networks to them. Uh, you on looking on uh, his show page, his show pics page, people just scroll down those images. He doesn't uh, view it uh, now himself, but there's 72 various images. Just scroll through them, look at them, and other ones you'll see other structures from around the world that are artistically done. Uh, megalithic blocks and whatnot, uh, highly precisioned, uh, you know, features. Like, uh, I think that's, what is that, uh, Alante Tombo, one of them there, as an example, I think he has. Uh, crop glyphs, uh, the glyphs are another interesting aspect uh, to this all. But uh, NASCA, okay, again, I know uh, you see these, uh, it's not far-fetched when you see signature and the handiwork of the heavens as it was, and things that we cannot duplicate or figure out today that are imprinted on this planet. Again, what's on the surface that's still able to be remain, there's some type of connection to that all, and it wouldn't be far-fetched that their connections would be with such megalithic size and scale of things taking advantage of either natural formations or, or 
you know, even literally sculpting natural features into artificial ones, like you see in this in the, in the sculpted uh, scapes of so-called mountains uh, that are like that look leveled or tiered. And you know, that wasn't primitives that did that shit. People that people utilize uh, that was done long, long ago. And when you look at that from above and see the uniqueness of it, and how far it goes, there's no way. There's no way that uh that we are responsible at least in our human history of our memory. Now it could be uh, points to pre-Adamic times again, but it's on this earth. It doesn't necessarily as advanced as impossible this may be to us. It could be a previous civilization of whatevers that obviously were intelligence that had capabilities where they. Humans, proto-humans, progenitors, if we go by the Nibiru Anunnaki aspects and others. Um, but those are ones that came down from the heavens. But how do we know it's not ancient humans, ancient peoples, for lack of a better term, that had done this? Maybe they escaped Earth, too. Maybe they had to leave. If they, And I believe, why wouldn't they? That, if they're, if that's it, a rumor. If they're able to do this shit all over the place in such a scale, and as behemoth, like the Bosnian, oh, it's a mountain. Oh, sure enough, no, it's not. It's not alone. The whole valley's artificial. What? Now you're really crazy. And, and then considering the, to the size and scale of the things we see, like at Nazca and all these other places, look, they laid that out from a knowledge of knowing where to put things and where to what to do and where to do them which means they had a layout from above. Therefore, if we're at the level we're at now and we're spacefaring, well, at least on the cusp of it, depending on how things go, uh, just think about how advanced in space capability they must have been. And how do we know they didn't go to Mars? How do we know the Martians didn't come to us? How do we know there's not more worlds out there with this same signature of intelligence lay? It just don't have to be on here right. and on Mars or on the moon. Right. You know, yeah. that's speaking, the, of the, speaking of the face on Mars, and you've got some great uh, research on it, Gary. Um, you know, it was after I just saw that face on Mars uh, that NASA found at 76, uh, my eyes were really opened. And they actually were from metaphysics, which teaches us that in the vast, infinite scope of consciousness, all is possible, which literally means that every atom and molecule has consciousness, and if you know how to communicate with it, you can create these incredible crop circles that apparently these aliens are able to create these incredible geometric designs just by willing the grain to do what they want. Now, um, that's, that's actually in the Bible, too. Uh, what is impossible for man is possible with God. So in my world, and your world as well as an artist, there's nothing that isn't possible. So, when watching a television show uh, decades ago called In Search Of, with the host Leonard Nimoy, right, he is showing, he's showing the Pyramid of the Sun and Teotihuacan. And when I first saw it, I realized instantly that it was a purposely designed giant human face. I think and that's I a good shocked. point. I think that's a good I point there. I think that's a good point right there. Uh, for people to leave off at because we're going to go to a break, Mike. But that brings up a good point because 
you know, I, I really want to see that. I can't rule that out. And I'm looking at it. All right, well, what the hell does he mean? You know, so, but that's a new aspect to it. Uh, so I am definitely want to get, you know, tickle your mind on that, get info from you when we come back from the break on that. In the meantime, everyone, scroll on down that PIX page till you come up to the pyramid of Teotihuacan in Mexico. That's that big pyramid for those of you that don't know. Just scroll down the pictures till you'll start coming up to a big pyramid that's not Giza there. All right? And uh, that's the one in uh, Mexico, which also, to me, looks like it's a part of a... A big old computer chip. I'm on a big old motherboard. If you look at it from above, like you're looking at a computer, think about those possibilities. But as you know, again, listeners to this show could appreciate pack them and smoke them because you're still definitely going to need them when we come back on the Martian <laughs> Revelation. That's right. Very good. And please I'll unmute here. your mic, sir. All right. I'll be back. Don't run. We are your friends. <laughs> The Ruins of Mars Trilogy by Dylan James Quarles. Available in ebook, paperback, and audiobook. Set against the turbulent backdrop of the near future, The Ruins of Mars Trilogy tells the story of a long dead Martian civilization and the team of NASA astronauts sent to explore its ghostly ruins. Far from Earth, the crew must travel on a mission more perilous than any could have anticipated. What they find buried beneath the red sands of Mars will test them to the breaking point and forever change the course of human history. Dean Marshall writes, An awesome, thrilling, intelligent, well-developed adventure. Five stars. Carolyn Evans says, A gripping read. After 40 years of reading almost every sci-fi piece that comes my way, I love this one for its originality. Five stars. John Mickelson says, Any sci-fi reader that enjoys Mars will not be disappointed. And even if Mars isn't your thing, it's still a great read. Five stars. According to R.W. Beaulieu, The ruins of Mars should carry a warning label. It's that difficult to put down. Five stars. With over 50,000 readers and hundreds of reviews, The Ruins of Mars Trilogy is a modern sci-fi classic. And now, for the first time since its publication, you can join the adventure on Audible with a brand new audiobook narrated by Stephen Cooper. Just visit Amazon.com and search The Ruins of Mars, or look for it on Audible.com by searching The Ruins of Mars. That's The Ruins of Mars, by Dylan James Quarles.
Shadow Dance, another fitting song. Kind of reminds me of the cover for Michael Rell's book there. The dude just packed them and smoked them, and he's looking at it, and he's getting ready to do the Shadow Dance. Ah, how fitting, you never know. Maybe that's what happened in the past. I mean, you know, I think it that that painting says a lot. You did that painting, correct? I am the yes. Uh, how long I did it take it you? That's the cover of my book. And right. includes the four rock faces, three of which are famous here in San Diego, as well as my UFO photo. Right. And and the and the idea of the Indian shaman is the fact that Native Americans have been claiming contact with extraterrestrials for uh, decades, and the evidence is overwhelming in their petroglyphs and petroglyph uh, pictographs, including my 2015 discovery of an actual alien handprint pictograph and a rock painting uh, in Sedona which shows a four-fingered alien handprint that for all intents and purposes is of alien origin. Now and, that's uh, image uh, believe... that's image 63 people on uh, Mike Garrell's uh, show pics page. Now, um, yeah, I see that picture with like the red stains of the handprints, four four fingers. Yes. Now, uh, also, yes. what's not very noticeable in between those handprints, there appears a lighter painted, obscure figures. There's one between yes. the hands and one just outside the hands, like stick people almost. It's very faint, but in, but in MN63, you people can see what I'm talking about. Uh, scroll on down to 63, Ming Ring, if you want to show it. You see the red hands there? Let me see what he's got so I don't look uh, stupid here. Uh, all right, so I know there's now, a little time delay. But it's image 63, it's uh, like an orangey rock and all this, and has like red handprints on it. And in between the two bottom handprints, there looks like a being there with like a circular uh, head, all right? Uh, I can't tell if there's any antenna on it or anything like that. But the one next to outside of those same pair of hands with the one in between, now it's lighter. It's not red. It looks like it might be a, a, yeah. a yellowish. But outside of that secondary hand at the bottom, it looks like a dude, a stick person with arms and a roundish head too. Now, I don't, yeah, you got to see that, uh, Mike, when you have a chance. I wish you had the page up. I'm going to check it out. Yeah, because uh, that's but pretty fascinating. Right, and it's uh, it was from one of these books I got at the library book sale, Gary, and I'm thumbing through it, and my mind started wandering, and all of a sudden, a bell, a, a uh, noise went off in my left ear, and I realized I was not paying attention to what I had just passed over. I turned the page back and instantly saw this lightened, colored, four-fingered alien hand, and I could see right away that the palm of that hand comes to a point. Human hands do not come to a point. Their palms are squared off. Right. And the thumb, the thumb was smaller and uh, of a different design than our thumb. So my uh, idea was that this is definitely what the aliens had uh, wanted to do with their friends. The Indian shaman is put their handprint on there so future generations could ponder the significance 
of the fact that, yes, extraterrestrials and Indians were practicing fellowship. And that's uh, confirmed by all the spaceships that they have included in their uh, drawings and petroglyphs. Indeed, you including mentioned oh, projecting triangles, including the projecting triangles that uh, are also at Nazca. In fact, one of the projecting triangles at Nazca, which mirrors my own projecting UFO shape, uh, has been sunk into the ground, Gary, two feet. I mean, exactly. Natural landscapes, natural landscapes being utilized and being carved yes. up. Now, go ahead, sir. It's fascinating stuff because, you know, it comes in all shapes. Its signature of intelligence, in my opinion, connects to that those past epochs of what all that represents. Imagine if we could see that all before the deluges, before the cataclysms, before all the erosions on this earth that Mars is quite limited for, which is why many things abound there. Uh, but here... You know, again, it's under the earth, upheavals, tectonic plates, movements, this and that. But look at what what is there, and pff, what do you, how how do you explain it? It's massive scale. Exactly, and and this this is exactly how it happened in a linear fashion. After I got my film back from Giant Photo, who did the enlargements, where they actually blew up my UFO photo, they took a picture and they blew that up. Well, while that was going on, I was recording anything and everything on my VCR. We didn't have digital back then, didn't have a computer. All right, like the old and saying goes, I, film is king. Right. So when I got my film back and I saw that this single craft had a strange spike-like projection two-thirds up the left side, I went, oh, my gosh, I had just recorded that. And it took me a while, but I found it. And it turned out to be the lost UFO photo taken by astronaut James McDivitt during the Gemini 4 mission where he had photographed a projecting acorn shape exactly like I had photographed. So this is what happened. I said, oh, my gosh, I just found a pattern in UFOs. And I went to a bookstore that was famous in Wolfred, John Cole's bookstore. I'll never forget today. And I found this book by Marilyn Bridges called Markings. And on pages 9 and 27, I hit Pater in the form of two giant projecting triangular shapes that confirmed to me that it was aliens who made the Nazca lines in Peru. And uh, Well, again, then on, unidentified craft, advanced craft, making advanced uh, features on the surface on that page, too. You could compare that to, like, uh, crop glyphs and crop circles. I love the one with the aliens right. smoking, uh, packed them and smoking them there. <laughs> uh, yeah, you know. and he's got seven uh, orbs uh, sprouting from his head because seven is the divine number of God. And sure enough, that explains the other half of the Nazca lines. Uh, when I first discovered them in... Uh, like 80, doing some art project, I had grabbed a whole box of National Geographics at the Spring Valley Swap Meet, and one of them had the Nazca lines. I had never heard about them before, and they showed two pictures, one of the monkey and one of the duckling. And guess what? Each one of them had seven fingers, if you minus the thumbs. And I said, why would they have seven fingers? Well, the National Geographic claimed one of them was a mistake, and I said, no, 
these lines are perfect. Uh, and you can't even tell what they are from ground level. There's a reason why they have seven. And sure enough, it turned out that in metaphysics, it claims that the number seven is blessed more than all things under heaven and has been hidden in creation. So I started finding sevens everywhere. There's seven interstellar molecules. There's seven regions of the visible light spectrum. There's seven regions of the electromagnetic spectrum. There's seven spectral classes of stars. There's uh, seven interstellar molecules, seven uh, planes of consciousness, seven colors in the rainbow, seven spinal chakras. It goes on and on, but hmm. uh, in my opinion, the number seven is the reason why aliens created the Nazca Alliance to prove the existence of God and to show their origin. Well, that's very interesting but aspect, too. Again, you know, it's, it, that's those are the bigger questions we need to find out. You know, ancient aliens, I mean, again, is it, how do we know that's not an indigenous from this planet? Otherworldly, I think, is a good term. Um, we... We need to know. We need to find the history. We need to find out what all of this means, what it represents, and I believe that could also be found on Mars and one of the big prizes for those who get there first. Uh, now, again, now all There's this. Three crafts. There are three crafts right now around uh, Mars, Gary. You're aware of that from three different countries. That's amazing. Just within this that week, yes. So that brings up the craft there. I forget the total number there now, but there's quite a suite of uh, orbiting aircraft as well as uh, right. you know landers and rovers there. So, but again, now where all this leads back to, like we you were about to get into the the aspect of the signature of intelligence of Tiatuacon, because you said a face or a human face. What, what we what are you talking about? I right, go to images right. number 47, 48, 49, 50, 51. Uh, that deals with the pyramid of Teotihuacan and Mexico. What is that? Mexico City there? Um, but Or out, on the outskirts? It's, it's, in, it's in, Teo, in Teotihuacan, Mexico. And uh, when I first saw it on that uh, In Search of program, and the title of that program was In Search of the Jaguar, Mm -hmm. um, I recognize immediately that one-third down from the top of the pyramid is the eyebrow ridge, and in the middle of that eyebrow ridge, the nose stalk drops down another one-third to be met by two lips. And once again, I was shocked that it wasn't well known that this is a purposely designed, stylized, human face and to prove it i see what you, you mean the... now i see what you mean now it's upper tier is the brow uh that dark one upper the tiers right yes that's the brow eyebrow ridge all right then the nose is the now look one. at the nose gary as you're looking at the nose right notice that the upper part of the nose is narrower yes than the bottom part of the nose which is wider right. now the real clincher that this was a purposely designed giant human head was the nose has a wall built at the bottom of the nose to render it three-dimensional. Without that wall there, which serves no other obvious purpose, you would not have a nose. So that's what really made me convinced. What, the wall, the wall at the bottom tier? The bottom, up, the bottom tier you're talking about? At the bottom of the nose, right. there's a wall. 
Or, you know, that could be no. like the, the thing above your lips, under your nose, you know, that the darker steps there could be the thing under the nose, it's, which connects the to the, the lips, nose. which is the top of the lips, must be that wall, uh-huh. and the mouth is and, those and steps. The lips, the lips have been stained into the stairway, and they purposely made the upper lip thinner than the lower lip, just like a human so there's no doubt in my mind that uh, this was purposely designed to be a human head. Now, here's my question, Gary. The same people I who see where you're going. Tree, I actually see where you're going. They, That's what's bizarre. Did, <laughs> I packed them and smoked them. <laughs> did, they, did these guys make the face on Mars in that Sidonia region and then come down to Earth and help design this pyramid of the sun? That's what I want to know. Well, like uh, Mr. Selye said regarding my hunt for the faces of Mars from UFO Diaries, which Hoagland provided to them, by the way. Ask him about them. You know, I, believe me, you'll be helping me. But he said that he also believes that, and he's fascinated, that the faces of Mars also appear to be pyramids as well. That was his exact words. That. And by him saying that, you can take it to the bank. It means something. He was privy to a lot of knowledge. And for him to lay that right. out, which was a theory to me, he actually confirmed my yeah. theories by, by his words saying that. And he wasn't just saying the face. He said the face is, which would also be to those old yet new image data showing on the faces of Mars that Hoagland provided and don't want to answer for. Now, but they appear right. to be pyramids as well. They're similar, like brothers. They don't have to look the same. And obviously, like people, before you explaining this now, I haven't heard anyone else say this before. But now that you see, I'm seeing a face too. I could, yeah, I'm see, it kind of reminds me, <laughs> holy shit, Mike, holy shit. You know what this looks like in a way? <laughs> What? Those artifacts that have been being found in Mexico of some of those cone-headed oh. aliens and those yes. pyramid ships. That Yes, because a lot of them look like faces, too, in those art. You know what I'm talking about, right? Yeah, they're the paleo-contact artifacts, a horde of remarkable alien faces on chiseled onto rocks perfectly that the... Uh, archaeological uh, uh, division in Mexico released. Uh, and a lot of people thought they were not authentic until one of the artifacts produced an age because some a mouth part had been glued onto this rock that, that made an alien's face. And that glue had uh, organic compounds, and they were able to date it to 7500 B.C., uh-huh. which makes at least some of these paleo-contact artifacts um, authentic. Now, if you're seeing my research, you're going to find out that one of these con- paleo-contact artifacts contains the Kecksburg Code. Now, if you've seen my, my Facebook wall, you'll see that these three lines with staggered spacing that I first discovered surrounded the whole of the Kecksburg UFO as portrayed in the 1990 Unsolved Mysteries episode of the Kecksburg event. Nobody knew what those three lines were, and I just noted it. Well, sure enough, it started popping up in ancient artifacts and different ancient uh, archaeological uh, sites like Petra, and oh my gosh, it turned out to be the stellar spectrum. Uh, Three lines 
with staggered spacing are actually the uh, emission um, spectrum of the hydrogen molecule. Aliens are using hydrogen, which is the most abundant molecule in our uh, universe. They're using it for for propulsion. And thanks to the Keck's UFO, uh, I have found this pattern on King Tut's uh, ostrich fan, which I think I included in those photos, that shows two triangular shapes in flight, and they have the Kecksburg code on their, their holes. And what's interesting is that the Egyptian Antiquities Authority doesn't want you to ever see this side nah, of King Tut's fan, because not. these two UFOs are, uh, are depicted in flight, and they could be nothing else but UFOs, which confirms what Egyptian pharaoh Tutmosis III claimed in that papyrus that him, his scribes, and his soldiers all witnessed UFOs. Huh. Hey, Mike. And if I... Yeah. Can you... Are, are you by someone that's maybe snoring? I hear someone snoring. Is it just me? Someone snoring. It's my Himalayan cat. Oh. He likes to snore. <laughs> all right. <laughs> and, and he's the boss. So, yeah, that's, that, I can get you up close if you want to hear him snoring. It's oh, no, no, no. No, I hear him good. He's okay. Right. <laughs> hey, right. so I just want to make sure I wasn't crazy. The, the Giza Pyramid. Um, I found out early in metaphysics that our Earth uh, processional wobble completes its cycle every 26,000 years, which ended on December 21st, 2012, right. when the Mayans thought that it was going to be the end of this fourth world and the beginning of the fifth world, and it didn't happen. And now we're, now going, into the, uh, now we're going into the Aquarius uh, constellation, correct? Right, that's right. Now, metaphysics claims that our Earth, uh, it swaps its polarity on an a-periodic uh, uh, timetable. It's 420,000 years one way, and then 440,000 years the other way. Well, according to volcanic rock samples, it's been 700,000 years since last magnetic pole reversal. And I'm thinking to myself, Gary, why would that be? Why are we delayed? And I realized that the Giza pyramids are constructed around the exact belly of the landmass of the Earth. And I'm thinking because they are structured to represent the cardinal points, have they somehow provided a stabilizing effect on Earth's processional wobble? Did Stonehenge do the same thing? Because there's apparently magnetic forces under there. And by the way, that same acorn shape that's the signature of aliens is right next to Stonehenge, here's which another, nobody else pointed here, out. Here's another interesting aspect. Here's another interesting aspect. Because north of there, I believe, is where the Bosnian Valley Pyramid of the, of the Pyramid Complex is, isn't it? And and, and how, I've seen that. That's huge. And how and, and that's you know on the same parallel as it was, but you know going up. So latitude, I believe, I believe. Now now north of that is what? What's north of the Bosnia? Because there's something else up there. Because you know I I kind of like what you're saying because 
What if this was all around the planet, not just at Giza? Again, many wolfy doos have yep. happened, and uh, things need to be found and, you know, uh, well, more laid out. And Dr. Mark Carlotto's been doing a lot of work with various pole shifts or, right. and, uh, you know, older platforms with newer ones being turned slightly toward the way the new pole would be, which would make the platform it sits on much older to previous epochs or processional shifts or whatever, polar changes, um, which is quite implicating in itself. They would have to have been around when we're seeing what we're seeing here, like uh, with that face in the mountain, Nazca and other things, those that are pre-Adamite times. Right? Right. So, right. Uh, now, what if, that, like, the moon is like a balancer uh, or a balance. Like, uh, you know, maybe these structures also are as well. And what better, ex that, why, why couldn't it be to help with the uh, various wobbles or changes to uh, its uh, orbital and processional phases that in order to exactly. keep the Earth uh, as stable as possible, I don't know, but it makes sense to me. I'm not the scientist here, but I'm, I'm seeing it, you know, and I, I get the concept. Right. So I'm reading this book called uh, Shadows of the Unknown by Cole Lorenzen, and she claims Shadow that the Dance. 1908 mm -hmm. Shadows of the Unknown, and it, she claims that the 1908 uh, Tunguska Blast in Siberia, altered our magnetic field. And I'm thinking, wow, aliens are really going all out to delay this uh, polar shift, which Charles Hapgood has claimed will be a crustal displacement. In other words, the world is physically going to roll over, like orange peel around the orange. And even Edgar Cayce, America's sleeping prophet, said that this event is going to happen in the blink of an eye, and it's actually in Revelations, uh, chapter 6, verse 13, and every mountain and island will be removed from its place. Now, and there's other, there's other Yes, and that correlates with other scriptures, too, uh, that the earth will reel to and fro like a, uh, like a drunkard, and uh, the oceans, well, you know, basically you're, you're going to have a bad day if you're along the coast. You know, you won't survive. Yeah. Uh, you know, that the waters are, are roaring, and even in Revelations, too, it, even though the waters are symbolic of peoples, and it's also the factual, literal waters of the earth that has more than one face of understanding, uh, the scriptures, people. So, again, pack them and smoke them and get into it, and uh, all I'll say is, holy yeah. Jesus, item smoke nine. Smoke them if you got them. Yep. Exactly. So, but uh, but you, it, you bring a point because that's historical record as well, according to that t aspects of when those were written and that knowledge, even from long before then, uh, it really makes you wonder about the those who did all this. And again, it's whether they're indigenous or not. I could see. By what we see is these structures, we can't duplicate them. You mentioned Giza and others, and many other places, even Bosnian pyramids, and all over the world of uh, what appear to be, you know, power tools, power tool cuttings, power tool marks. Right. You know, I mean, and it's yeah. like, how the hell did they do that exactly. on such a on a scale? Right. And therefore, I mean, they would be spacefaring. When you look at the obelisk in in Egypt, and these precise cuts 
uh, at Puma Punko as well. Mm-hmm. We can't duplicate that today. So it's obvious that a highly technical civilization uh, was here on Earth before we were. Therefore, and, it's uh, not a far stretch to claim that they were also, that's evidence in itself, based upon our progress and inabilities and abilities of us being spacefaring. I think at the level right. that they had, they were space uh, fluent. Yes. And, you know, according to metaphysics, aliens are apparently emissaries from God. Uh, and they have been fulfilling his mandate to create sentient life forms for souls to inhabit to fulfill their spiritual obligations, fulfill their karmic debt. So people are asking, you know, why are all these UFOs suddenly appearing? We've had more mass sightings of UFOs. I just got through watching a marathon of paranormal caught on camera. I don't know if you watch this show, but oh my gosh. They got cryptids, real cryptids. They got incredible UFO sightings. And I think this is all because aliens want us to get used to the idea of them and their existence because we are about to have contact. Uh, it could happen in the dead of night, but either way, they are not going to die in an extinction event as the Earth flips over, creating 500-mile-an-hour winds, leveling everything on the planet, and stripping away our atmosphere, including oxygen. So if you think you're going to survive it in a hole, good luck. Yeah, or, or, or when you consider the movie Knowing. Did you ever see that with Nicolas Cage? <laughs> That's another, you know, fire and ice deal, day after tomorrow. And then that movie, Fire and Ice, you know. Uh, but, uh, you know, related to the sun and mass die-offs, obviously. But that angelic, scriptural-type aspect like you're describing, taking up the children off the earth, uh Right. You know, it kind of reminds you of Noah's Ark and the, the the tiger that wanted to come in with the cubs, and one of them, the uh, cubs, turned around and bashed the mother right in the face, like, get the hell off. You know, that was God working through that thing. That, and the mother turned around and left, upset, obviously. But it was, uh, it is what it is. And it, and it, the who I really want to get on for this, uh, you know, and it's hard to approach him because he's a, you know, he's a born-again Christian, which is all right. I'm a man of faith, too, and King Holy Be Jesus. That's okay. And dealing with these issues, he actually comes from a perception of knowledge, of biblical knowledge, where he ties in all this, especially regards uh, to these beings, their purpose, who they are, and it's not the first time they've been here on Earth. I mean, I was like, whoa, it's like, he's so interesting. Whether you're a believer or not, you can see correlations in what he has to say about him along the lines of what you just said. So that's a fascinating aspect. His name is Pastor John S. Terrell of, uh, out there in uh, California. So I, I, he'll, be, he'll, be a great, he'll be a great guest, and, and maybe he'll, he'll help save some people too. You know, that's always a good thing. Uh, but it brings up these aspects of what we're talking about here of which the Martian revelation consists of, and we have to make our fate, and that means we have to face all this now, because yes. remember, like you said, you know, working for God, but there's 30% if we go by that, according to Scripture, who are the enemy, the 30% of the cosmos sided with the enemy, and, well, they are hinted at showing up, you know, and uh, 
it is a fascinating thing, but it's but scary, but fascinating. And Mike, being the fact that we may be able to see it and awake to hopefully guide others to the knowledge of who and exactly what they are, because again, deceptions will be strong. Um, but I don't know. Right. I don't want to go down that route now. But it's just it just brings those aspects up that will need to be covered on this show. So I'm glad you brought that up. I'll stop ranting. But I see where you're going with that. Now, again, but how long have they been here? They could also have been here for a while, but more are coming or becoming more open. Uh, that That's the key here, uh, making yep. themselves want to be seen or known. Something's going on. And we're at a time based right. on Brookings where we must be told, in my opinion, listeners of this show could appreciate or certain ones that really appreciate uh, what Brookings means from the 50s onward. We're at a time now on that on that time frame where we must be told. You know, it's no coincidence yeah. we have guardians in the space for us now to protect us from the threats of deep space. That was the focus, too, that Trump right. and Pence founded Space uh, Force. I just think, well, if they're secret space programs, we always heard of that. To me, well, if they come in public, that means they need many more boots. And that means, and they and they kept saying this, Mike, uh and I'm not going to get into the politics, but I think you'd appreciate this. Their focus was beyond the threats of, obviously, China and geopolitical situations and low-Earth orbit and how our world's running and eating to defend against, but from the threats coming from deep space. I mean, everyone, even Mark Milley, you know, just before this, a couple of years, telling the cadets they're going to be dealing with hybrid armies, little green men, and uh, dealing with tribal and political, all these issues that they're going to have to be facing simultaneously. He didn't say may. He said that they will face. And then this need for a space force, now it got so fast enacted. And I keep on uh, saying, okay, what's the threat coming from these space? No one's asking fucking questions. And then he tells General Dunford, <laughs> remember when he told Dunford? Everyone's laughing at Trump. Does anyone not want me to sign this? Because you're gonna be not going to like it if uh, you don't want me to sign this. People are thinking he's threatening you know, his people joking. No, he's saying us because something's coming from deep space, people. Wake up. And if he didn't sign that, well, <laughs> later he'll be right. We wouldn't like it. But, but then he tells General Dunford, got it? Yes, sir. Okay, good. Now go get it. And another question, crickets. Go get what, General? <laughs> what? What is it? What is it that they know? I believe, Mike, what you're saying here, what we're talking about, is only the the, the top of the tip of the mountain, pun intended, uh, of what is being referenced to and as connects to these UFOs or these these beings, these uh, whatever you want to call them. Uh, it has to be. It, it's just too much here going on. Regards to that, I mean, what are your thoughts on that aspect? And should that give us hope and inspiration, or should we cower back and, I don't know. I mean, I think it's an interesting question. Well, what really gives me hope was uh, one of the, the first and uh, bravest UFO abductees, Betty Hill, yes. who had the courage to ask her alien abductors where they came from, and they gladly showed her the famous star map, which included... Uh, 
broken lines to different star systems, which the aliens explained were expeditionary routes, like the one to our planet, and it also included bold lines to other stars that they claimed were trading routes. So that is Earth's ultimate destiny, to become a trading partner to this long-established galactic uh, federation of cooperating planets. And uh, that's why they have done as much as they can to enable humankind to step to the plate, including possibly purposely crashing the Roswell UFOs that provided the technology that we're utilizing today and the fact that Huh, um, Pastor Terrell has a, Pastor Terrell, I'm sorry to interrupt. Uh, Pastor Terrell also has a, you know, a, a good look at that aspect of how and where and why that came. But uh, we got to get him on. But go ahead, sir. But you're right. And uh, to just back up uh, the fact that aliens are on our side, mm -hmm. just look what happened to two separate. Uh, missions of Russian cosmonauts in 1984 when they were visited by seven gigantic 80-foot tall angelic beings in outer space who promoted peaceful thoughts to these cosmonauts who courageously uh, uh, ad admitted to what they saw. Now, NASA, of course, would not have done that, but these Russian cosmonauts were very serious that they had a run-in with seven, that's God's number, angelic beings, not on one mission, but two missions. Now, hold that thought, and let's go to one of the crop circles. Yep. Go to uh, number 46. Uh, listeners, go to number 46. Uh, picture 46 on Mike Orell's show pick page, and uh, there's a picture there that they claim that seven enormous winged humanoid beings, it says. That's what he's referring to. You can see them uh, wingspan and whatnot, you know, outside of Earth there. Go ahead. So the Winchester crop circle is a giant crop circle made overnight of an alien's face with a giant binary code, and that code is actually a warning for mankind, and it has to do with the upcoming shift as well as... Uh, and beware of the deceivers. President. And beware of the deceivers, it says, too, on that, right? Let me read it for you. It says, All beware right. of the bearers of, of false gifts and their broken promises. Hmm. Much pain, but still time. Believe there is good out there. We oppose deception. Conduit closing, bell sound. Now, the conduit closing, to me, that's everything to do with the electromagnetic forces of Earth as our polarity is rapidly shifting. And there's going to be a moment where apparently um, the bell sound in that message may refer to iron meteorites who ring like a bell when you hit them with a hammer. Who knows if they are planning, after evacuating Earth, to throw a meteor at the Earth to knock it uh, out of its locked orbit, thanks to their efforts, so that Earth can reverse its polarity. It has to do this, or the Earth will die. So is that, is that it? An an a comet or, or an asteroid that whose conduit is closing to the Earth? Some could might attribute that to maybe, you know, Nibiru and other as frightening aspects as that. 
Yeah, it's it's up to interpretation. Right. But I had just got to watching a, a program about the meet the Williamite Williamette meteorite that was uh, a very sacred object to the native Indians before uh, Americans grabbed it, and everybody used to hit it with a hammer because it rang like a bell. So here we got bell sound. Now that could also be a reference, by the way. To the moon, Gary. To the which moon, we you found said? Out yes, to the moon. Has, it may be hollow after NASA crashed a lander into it, and the moon rang like a bell for three hours. Yes. And we have all these videos of UFOs uh, circling the moon and coming to Earth from the moon as witnessed and captured on video by the International Space Station. So the moon may have been... Uh, towed into place and maybe an artificial satellite, and I'm not one to discount that possibility. It, that it's it very is. possible, even Perfect. Jacques Doubleday, with the shielding aspect on the Earth, that that would answer for the moon as well, especially from others' researches. And now, funny it is that all the, well, the majority of the craters, I believe, on the moon, uh, as wide or diverse, big or small as they are, they all pretty much go... Uh, they all pretty much go up to the same level, which is pretty odd. That's funny you should bring that about the craters on the moon, because after I discovered this projecting acorn shape is the alien signature, and I realized at one point, hey, I'm the only researcher on planet Earth that has discovered this pattern, and I went balls out to find it everywhere, and guess where I found it? On the surface of the moon, in one of the largest craters known as Mare Serenitas. It's a giant projecting acorn shape that exactly matches James McDivitt's UFO photo, which may be why NASA hid his UFO photo, because they knew it represented exactly the face on the moon known as Mars Serenitas, which has a projection two-thirds up the left side, just like a handful of UFOs. And on the back side of the moon is a 150-mile-wide crater that also looks like a, a UFO. So there's other aspects of the moon that require more uh, time to discuss. But what I really want to talk about mm -hmm. is the the uh, message from Mars from 1928, which I believe I sent you, this, uh, and projecting, this projecting acorn-shaped duplicates are UFOs. A 1928 message from Mars, a radio message, where uh, Professor Todd had talked the military into closing down all their communications because Mars was approaching its closest proximity to Earth. And sure enough, they got a radio message, and here's this... Uh, giant projecting bell shape, which, by the way, was not included in the Travel Channel's recent coverage of that 1928 event. Really? That's totally missing. And thank God I recorded it over a decade ago on these television programs, mm -hmm. for which that's my job now, apparently. All right. Somehow yeah. or another. According to the Los Angeles Times, I've been chosen... <laughs> so I'm going to try to live up to that, and I've dedicated my life to helping promote the idea that not only do aliens uh, exist, but they are our benefactors, and that they help create us. And we have every reason why we should be uh, humbled 
and grateful to them, but we should not worship them. They are not God. They are emissaries from God. and uh, Or the enemies thereof, just... <laughs> scripturally speaking. <laughs> Uh, that's true, right? Indeed. So let me tell you about these aliens. After I made the front page of the Beach and Bay Press in April of 92, uh, they got a lot of phone calls, and they forwarded the best of Gumi. And one of these was a man who was retired, but he said back in the 50s he was a contractor, and while he had lunch with uh, somebody he was going to do business with, the guy apparently revealed that he was a military policeman at Edwards Air Force Base when at 2 in the morning they got an alarm and one of them ran out and in front of this hangar was a UFO hovering and at one point the sergeant ordered all the MPs to fire at the UFO. And this guy said the UFO absorbed the bullets and then a panel opened up and a green beam of light hit the sergeant who had given the orders to fire and just vaporized him. Poof, oh, he was shit. gone. The alien ship did not bother any of the other MPs, and they were all subsequently uh, uh, sworn to secrecy, and and the 10 years had elapsed, so this contractor was told this story, which to this day I still find fascinating. Wow, it's kind of so remin- it's kind with, of reminiscent of the, with aliens. right? It's kind of reminiscent almost almost of the Battle of L.A. Uh, UFO being fired upon. Right, exactly. It's also reminiscent of what Vietnam uh, veterans claimed, uh, riding around in their PT boats. They were um, confronted by aliens, and they shot at them with their artillery and guess what the same ammo the same munitions were returned uh to these soldiers with deadly accuracy so do not be shooting at aliens Uh, if you do then you deserve to die boy that's definitely from god yeah these are emissaries from god they're the ones who gave uh moses the ten commandments they led him and his Israelites for 40 years in a cloud and feeding them manna, uh, avoiding the Egyptian troops that were hunting them. And uh, there's no telling what other uh, interpretations in the Bible where angels, according to ancient alien theory, are actually UFOs. So Right. That's... Well, yeah, Ezekiel, Ezekiel, Elijah... I mean, there's uh, many aspects, uh, right. you know. So, again, and that's scripturally speaking. And uh, the connections are there. Again, you know, it's finger-pointing at John S. Terrell. i got to get past the Terrell on. I think too many signatures kicking me in the ass there. It's like saying it's time to get him on. Uh, so, like, yeah, I, hopefully he appreciates that. <laughs> you know, I, I would, but again, you know, it's an opportunity for him to help enlighten us to pre-Adamic civilizations and our place from a scripture that might help some people, who know, save some people. If, uh, you know, hey, that's all the, all the power to goodness, right? And that's where the truth leads exactly. us. We, we go seeking for the truth on this show, you know, one bizarre truth at a time, and there's a lot of bizarre truths in the scriptures, you know. Um, you're right. Um, I'm hanging in there. Oh, okay. <laughs> All right, so, uh, I'm just uh, 
I'm looking at this I'm one just... picture on uh, on your picks page, uh, pick thirty, everyone. Of uh, again, it's of the many handprints. Looks like you. It would look like some t describing some type of scene they were trying to do with all the hands, all these various hands, and even figures amongst them. Look, there's a even on that whole scene of the rock face. It even looks like an alien gray dude on the other side. Some structural more hands, various colors, uh, UFOs. I guess floating around. This the cigar shaped UFOs. Yes. And above the hands. Yeah, yes. that's Aboriginal, and I believe those are UFOs, as depicted uh, in other rock art and captured on photo. There's a photo taken in Peru of the exact same cigar-shaped UFO that uh, the aboriginals painted, which confirms that UFOs have been around for at least 30,000 years, as well as the uh, boomerang-type UFOs, the same kind that uh, showed up in 1997 in Phoenix with uh, numerous eyewitnesses seeing this gigantic chevron-shaped UFO silently moving through the valley. And uh, that was another incidence where aliens have been given permission to make themselves known. Uh, uh, we need to get indoctrinated. We need to believe, just like they said in the Winchester crop circle. We need to believe because by believing, uh, that has uh, an effect of the quantum theory, where if you believe it, then it comes back as a material manifestation. And if we get enough humans on Earth ready and willing for contact, that's going to happen. And that's what they want. They want Earth to become a trading post, but it's going to have to be after about two years. And this is what Nostradamus saw, Gary. He said, humans are going to have to leave Earth if we want to survive. And he said, we're going to be taken to different uh, galaxies. One of uh, the Cancer Galaxy, and I think the other one, was Aquarius for a period of two to three years while Earth reconstitutes its atmosphere. And when we come back, it's going to be heaven on Earth. Uh, we'll be having uh, the alien technology uh, that will get rid of all of our diseases. There'll be no more homelessness, starvation. That's uh, going to be a good thing. And that's why the state force needs volunteers because we are going to be setting up trading posts on their inhabited planets since they are going to set up colonies on Earth. So we need to get rid of any racism. If you're a racist, that means that you have no place in the next phase of human evolution because that automatically means that you don't like aliens. If you don't like somebody, even your own race, then that's you have different. issues. Right, that's, so. that's different, right. I, I see where you're going, for sure. Well, someone that enacts on those impulses of humanity, you know, that's like Americans. Uh, I mean, whether, you know, we are so diverse with colors and multi-people, uh, and, uh, you know, hey, everyone's something. Every race is something. You ever notice that? You know, we're all something. And yep. it's like, all right, well, you know, regardless of what we think of anyone else, how you handle yourself knowing the reality and going out there and treating others like how you want to be treated because of the rights that, you know, enables us in this nation, how we should be to overcome that. You know, it, we're not a nation of uh, angels. 
you know, but we are we are given senses and we are given consciousness and we're given choices. And uh, yes. then those humanistic yes. uh, tendencies of hate that light within us, whether imprinted by an extraterrestrial spirit or force or or if it's just human nature, we can over we can overcome that just by I don't know, live and let live. But then again, I don't know. I see where you're going for sure. Because someone that acts on those things that cannot or know how to abide, live and let live, uh, yeah, I don't see how they would adapt to any extraterrestrial civilization, even one such as you described, which has been promised to be coming to give bring those things. His name is King Holy Be Jesus. But I always say, until kingdom come, there's a lot of things that could be accomplished. And I think that right. it don't have to go, well... The Bible says things will go down the way they do. Probably, obviously, he knows best. But it doesn't mean it has to. Remember, Jonah no. and Nineveh, he didn't want to go, right? And so he had a whale or whatever, swallow him, brought his ass there, puked him up, and to bring his message. And he got pissed that they listened to him and the judgment didn't come. But this was already prophesied. What is the scriptures in Revelation? Prophecy. That means there's a chance slim chance it don't have to go down like that till kingdom come it might do things differently but obviously according to that if we go by it it already went down you know but i, I you know I, I don't know i'm a i don't know what i am I'm, I'm i'm a visionary i'm an optimist uh where it comes to that and and i believe that there's many christians and others say we shouldn't go out in space that we never will. And I was like, well, don't right. say never because we've already went up there and come back, you know, and it doesn't, you know, right. and, and he says his hand will bring you back anyway when he wants you to come back, basically, and not the exact words. But uh, describing that, no matter where you go, you're not going to escape him. Uh, if he want, you know, he wants you, he's going to get you. He'll bring you right back. So uh, I think... You know, it just all depends on them. I think it's a fascinating thing. I'm, I know I'm ranting, but the things that are on Mars is inspiring. And to learn that history thereof itself may be a possible record of a connection with Earth and Earth's history, pre-Adamite or Adamite, and, you know, whatever the case may be, and or from these other worlds, these other uh, stations that you mentioned and Pleiades along the space routes. Right. You know, we would, I mean, the knowledge in my opinion, could be much more important than just to find weapons or technology. Because with that knowledge, think about it. Think about what that'll give you. Exactly. It's just it's it's more valuable militarily to get there for that purpose. And that's what the commie, you know, we know what they'll do with it, but you know, but there's always a threat. But what we will, what what will we do with humanity and with many more new boots and volunteers? They got to disclose a lot of this to us. You can't have everyone having heart yep. attacks out there. <laughs> <laughs> no, and it's that's exactly right. And aliens have told us, told our astronauts and cosmonauts that until we um, progress spiritually. They are not going to allow us to uh, become space travelers promoting our weaponry because they've already been through that. They actually have gone out of their way to protect humankind, apparently, from aliens 
who have less concern, less empathy for the human species and may have made us, tried to make us into slaves, which uh, the uh, history has shown, but it's an idea that aliens want us to be part of their uh, long-established collective of trading planets, which is why they want as many humans as possible for this next phase of human evolution. And because reincarnation is a reality, and if we only have 144,000 humans being saved, then there's going to be a bottleneck of entities waiting to reincarnate to fulfill their karmic destiny. No, aliens want billions of humans, which is why they're sharing their knowledge and showing themselves, and which is why I believe I was selected to find to stumble upon this UFO Rosetta Stone. No, I believe that. Courageous, courageous enough to share it, despite all the uh, snickers and and whistles. I believe that this is actual uh, um, evidence of extraterrestrials that can't be denied. Which is why I won all this front page coverage and my award winning CBS interview. And I'm not a scientist, Barry. I'm just a UFO enthusiast. Well, you've done a lot. You've done a lot of work. You've done a lot of work, so that's commendable by any scientific terms. And uh, also, there's still more work. We're gonna. I'm gonna at least try to help with, in my interest in regard to it. I definitely want to see aerial imagery, uh, various uh, over over, over the years. And I, and I also want to look, uh, see what may be around it, if anything. Uh, so, uh, I don't know. It's just fascinating stuff, man. And, you know, damn, right. we're coming down to the, to the close just about. But uh, I think that you should, get, I think you should get out there more. Uh, after this show, hopefully it inspires you more and uh, spurs up more interest. Because okay. this, this has got to be kept getting looked at, not shoot under the rugs. The commies would love that. Other people right. would love that. That want to keep you in the dark, keep you down here, you know, and then in, in control of us. Rather, and the thing is that they're in the control of the things that we pay for to go out there, and they have the knowledge of what's out there. And uh, for some reason, again, maybe they're in cahoots with these ones that may be against us, nefarious ones, compared. You know, the ones being mentioned about by that alien in the disc there. I mean, anything's open here for interpretation at that point because there's a point. There's a point. There's a point to look at all this, and we got to look seriously at all these various aspects, including Pastor John S. Terrell. I'm feeling it again. There I go, saying it again. So it's a given. i got to get him. Now, um, so therefore, with other aerial imagery, I'll see what I can find. And uh, we'll see how, you know, precision in its sizes, its rim of the circle, and then of, of the face itself. This should be very interesting in the least uh, until you could get some drones, because maybe we could find uh, data on there and different perspectives that could uh, that we would need bird's eye view from various points, maybe to make predictions. Like scientists do, we would make predictions and see if up close any of those predictions could be solid 
that would be made for, even though this may be a natural overall mountain range, but it has been somehow right. modified, and its signature would be there. If we're seeing that signature like it is, its signature is all over that thing. It just may be hard to detect unless you're far away from it because you see its imprint. There's no, to me, there's no mistaking. It's a, it's a, an omen from the past. And what is that? What is that past? And then how many right, eons passed? Yeah. How many previous civilizations passed? I mean, I don't know, but it's fascinating stuff. And uh, so we definitely got to do follow up with this research, and in time, uh, bring you back on for more continued efforts on this. That sound good? Sound good to me, buddy. All right. Is there anything like else uh, you got going on you would like to mention or shout out, or that I didn't yeah, give you the opportunity like, to say? I just want to say. That on my Facebook wall, under Michael O'Rell, O-R-R-E-L-L, I'm going to post the Apollo 11 missing two minutes where Armstrong and Aldrin definitely had a run-in with aliens and UFOs, which was blacked out for NASA for two minutes. Now, this not only proves aliens exist, but it proves that Apollo 11 really landed on the moon, which some people don't think so. You have so it already there, or you're going to put it up there? I have. I'm going to post it right after our interview. Well, hey, uh, uh, if it, is it audio? It's audio. Maybe I'll, I can embed it on the page no, uh, for the audio. archive. No, it's a transcript. It's a transcript gotcha. From the, the over 100 California amateur radio operators who were dialed in to the same channel that Armstrong and Aldrin were uh, sending messages to Houston and they intercepted the message. <laughs> I say there were other spaceships, says uh, Colonel Neil Armstrong, and they were lined up on the edge of a crater. And uh, this is significant because as China and Japan and other countries go visit other planets, they're going to have contact, I believe, with aliens and UFOs, and yes. I would hope that they would be forthcoming, possible, more so NASA has been, the, who hid the uh, James uh, McDivitt's photo and other evidence, because we want to know, and we have the right to know, because we need to get off planet Earth's surface. Yes. It's going to happen, and that's why they're showing themselves up. And guys like you, Gary, are doing a great job, and you're going to be blessed by the universe for your efforts. Well, to, uh, I don't know, but uh, they have a habit of, uh, let's just put it this way, I don't know whether I'm blessed or cursed, I have experienced, and without getting into it all, I lay it out sometimes here, I'm crazy though, it's okay, I could get away with it, but uh, the reality is, a blessing or a curse, I don't know, the eye is on me, my footsteps are not my own, I have to, I had come to learn that, and I have just been told this, that faith really matters, I gotta believe, and I gotta believe, so one show at a time, yep. one step at a time. We're here. I'm phased back right. through time. They have a fascination with working through time. But I'm crazy. But one show at a time, we're going to make our fate and usher in the Martian revelation. And uh, your work yeah, is uh, going to be continue to be brought forth as part of that. 
because it's all relevant. And uh, everyone, I would like you all again to go to thefacesofmars.com. Click on uh, Michael Laurel's book there, Aliens from Above, The Last in Line. Oh, that's a song I should have played. <laughs> but anyway, uh, but oh, but that would be pretty sad. Are we the last in line? We, that means the race is on. we, we got to get off our ass. Yes, we got to do what needs exactly. to be done because we're at childhood, childhood's end. You know, so other than that, well, I'd like to thank you very much, Mike, for being on. We definitely will be in touch. I'll uh, try to hop on some of that this week. I, I'm I'm really curious now about this. Again, uh, it may turn beneficial. In the meantime, uh, that way you could also look. Uh, if you don't have a computer, you should get one, or at least get one to where you will go online, to where you know you'll be able to uh, deal with these images more and in order to even plot your walks and and uh, uh, places to go and check out since you're in the vicinity. If I see something, I'm going to be like, holy shit, dude, go check that out. <laughs> you know what I mean? But we need all the much data that we can get for you to actually do that. Right. You know what I mean? And because... Uh, you know, exactly. and that's what science does. Therefore, again, based on predictions and following the data, it would be great to get some LIDAR views of this area as well. But uh, first, uh, that'll right. be harder to do. Maybe Jeffrey Boyd Jr. or others may be able to chime in on that, how we may acquire that or get someone to foot the bill to do that. But uh, let's see what we can find in the aerial imagery and uh, take this where it needs to go because obviously... Uh, it needs to be discussed and dealt with. And again, the image that you got, I believe it too. Your steps are not your own. When you took that picture that day, that was meant to be seen, and that's an iconic photo. That, that is just as astronomical yep. as the feature there on that mountain. Both, I mean, just things adding to everything. So I definitely yep. appreciate your, your presence here on the show, and we'll definitely follow up. And uh, yeah, let's spread the word, man. Thanks, Gary. Hey, keep up the good work, brother. All right, thanks, man. I appreciate it. All right, you have a good night, Mike. You too. All right, so there you go, everyone. Mike Carell. So that was a lot of information packed within all that. And the show page has helped for you people to follow along. Thanks, me and Green, for doing that. Uh, this is to get the ideas of uh, where he was going, where he's coming from. Uh, that book sounds like right. a good read, so I advise everyone that they should do that. You know, again, the connections between Earth and Mars and what's seen on its surfaces, which there may not be a connection for all we know, but wouldn't that just show that life and intelligence raises without potential connections? But I don't know. I think I think and feel there may be connections. But, again, that's why we have to go out there. That's why we have to dig more here on Earth. That's why we have to... Yeah, we do. Yep. So, uh, you know, other than that, all I could say... Is uh, I got to line up some more guest people. I got some uh, names I want to approach, and uh, definitely got to get uh, Mr. Stephen Bassett back on. It's been a while; things have been going on with that. Right. So, uh, so we'll definitely be in touch. And everyone out there, all I could say is that when you look at all this stuff and how it's been imprinted all over the place, all I know, <laughs> it just cuts you up. Good night.